Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Get Clean Podcast. I'm your host, Khalil Sharad, and today is episode seven. In today's episode, I will be interviewing Jacob Ross. He is an elite sports performance coach, has seven NFL Pro Bowlers, two NBA All-Stars, and a co-owner of his new online strength conditioning service called Smart Strength Official. We went into all things coaching, what it takes to be a good coach, how to run business successfully, what to look for when you're looking for a strength coach, and then his story overall is how he got into the field, who he looked for for information, and his style of using the conjugate system. I hope you enjoy, and let's get clean. Hello, hello. Hey, how you doing, Jacob? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, I'm good. Nice. You can hear me? Everything sounds good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything sounds good. Whatever type of headset you're using is good. Beats. Beats by Dre. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I'm using uh, video game headphones. <laughs> oh, very nice. Yeah, yeah, very yeah. Nice. It's funny. Uh, they like dub is just like a, a regular headphones, too. And they were like 60 something dollars. Usually the video game headphones would be the same as the uh the beats but every time i buy the beats mine have always had like the one ear goes or it gets scratchy within like six seven months so i stopped buying big over the ear headphones at least from them yeah yeah Uh, i have like dj friends that are like yeah those are like the worst like no one that djs uses those it's just because (laughs) dr dre is just so famous so it's so (laughs) (laughs) oh man i've had these for gosh Three years now? Jeez. Like I don't know. Maybe it's the ones I bought. <laughs> but, like, I didn't buy the – like, I got the ones that were, like, $300. And it's, like yeah. – maybe it's because I worked out in them once and then they got, like, messed up. I don't know. But, like uh, – but I got the little ones that go over the year. I've got yeah. those, like, every single time they come out every year. Those are my favorite headphones, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Uh, all right, man. Well, let's get started. So, uh, just tell everybody a little bit about yourself, what you do. Yeah. Um, so, my name is Jacob Ross. Uh, I like to call myself uh, an elite coach. Mm-hmm. I think the word trainer has been uh, diluted and it brings up a very negative connotation for most people. Right. And I like to distance myself from that terminology as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I work with, uh, currently I work for myself mm-hmm. and I work with a select um, few professional athletes. Mm-hmm. Previously, I ran a sports performance center called EFT, which is in north side of Chicago Mm. and trained um, when I was there. I trained tons of high school, collegiate, uh, professional athletes, MLB, NFL, NBA, you know, collegiately, any sport you can think of. How long ago was that? Uh, Four years ago is when I left to work for myself. So I was there for about six years. Okay. Yep. And um before that, went to school at TCU, did undergrad, I double majored in health and fitness and, um, you know, exercise physiology. Yeah. And at TCU, health and fitness was like the applied version of kinesiology. We had a professor there who actually used to do what I'm doing now. Oh, wow. And um, he used to train like Jane, Jane Fonda. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, like Mike Singletary. Like a, oh, like, wow. He was actually, yeah, he was actually on, he had the People magazine from like 1988 (laughs) or 89, and he was actually like the number one trainer in America. Oh, wow. That's crazy. That's cool. That's a cool start right there. Good person to learn. Yeah, and 
he also had a PhD from Alabama. Oh. So he's a very like weird, weird mix of, of experience and education. So mm. he retired from, you know, privately training to start teaching. Mm. So I was lucky to be in the same place in the same time as him right. because most, uh, you know, most collegiate programs are just the anatomy. Oh my God. So like my girlfriend, know. she's about to finish her <laughs> master's and she's, she's finishing. She's basically going to have a double master's at the end of the next spring where it's like psychology and exercise science. And it's like mm-hmm. her and just so many people I know, they're just like, yeah, I basically learned way more in my search on how to train somebody. They just talk about the anatomy and the bones. And I'm just like, why is it not the opposite? I don't, I don't understand how you're paying all this money for exercise science. And it's like, all you learn is the bones. I, I don't, I don't get that. Yeah, there's, there's, and there's absolutely no application um, to how you you use any of that stuff, right. except for um, what I would call the high funded areas of research. Mm. So things that professors are typically interested in, like uh, you know maybe like endurance cycling, right. um, endur- endurance running, endurance. Ro- I don't know why it always seemed to be endurance based, but it is. Um, even in our lab um, in TCU, you know, we did some research for Gatorade. Well, that was always in an environment chamber, you know, with an endurance-based study. Mm. We never, you know, how does Gatorade affect somebody lifting weights? Because it's just no money in that. <laughs> you know, like, there's a, it, it always believed, like, at the end of the day, uh, I had a good friend of mine's dad tell me this. He was like, if you don't understand, you know, what, what's going on, it has to do with money. <laughs> it's like there's just there's just no money in uh you know doing strength research slash most professors at least in my experience uh in ex phys departments are endurance based athletes right or that's their passion or that's what they do on their own so they tend to research that you don't see a lot of um strength coaches who are also PhDs in doing research right it's pretty rare well it's funny because it's like uh just from like reading because I, I got my personal training certification from an athletic coaching from Westside and I'm reading all this stuff so I can take the special strengths and it's like the dude that wrote super training and stuff it's like but they do that and that's why they beat us in the weight training sports and uh, many yeah. other sports and I'm just like it's weird well it's not really weird because like once you read it's like oh they actually apply the actual science to weight training and other people over here are, like claiming they're doing the same and it's like no, no, you're not. It's right. it's totally different. And all you got to do is read one of these books to find out. But I'm but some people are like so brainwashed with the endurance stuff. And like, you know, Louie talks about that all the time. It's like post, I want to say the Cold War, how he was like America. Oh, it was like after like the Arnold Schwarzenegger time, people started to focus so much more on bodybuilding and then endurance, but not on strength. So that's right. why you have so many people thinking, like, even as a sports coach or a, a quote-unquote, quote-unquote strength coach, they're still training them as if they're a bodybuilder and a long-distance runner. And you see that, right. how the sports coach makes your team run, you know, gassers and stuff like that. That's just unrealistic for most of the sprinting sports. And it's just like the brainwash that has to be undone. I think it's getting better, but, like, it's so much, you know, especially the way the kids are getting brought up. And the way they're like, oh, I shouldn't be doing bicep curls all the time. It's like, nah, right. man, you need to get strong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think um, I think a lot of it has to do, too, with, like you're saying, the, the culture shift in the 70s and 80s. Right. You know, first it was bodybuilding, like, for sure. Arnold is the reason why, in my opinion, there's a gym you right. know, yeah. everywhere everywhere in the world. Yeah. Um, you know, his transition from bodybuilding to Hollywood, et cetera. 
but then you got to remember in the, I think it was in the late seventies or early eighties that um, doctor was a Dr. Cooper wrote his book about running and like the Cooper clinic in, in Texas now is considered like one of the best places you can go for health, uh, fitness. There's a lot of executives who go there for like a three day screening hmm. in terms of like just health and stuff. But he wrote a book basically saying, all you need to do is run. Hmm. And that became so popular, you know, yeah. during the during the early 80s where, oh, I just need to run. Right. And so you, in terms of like actual sports performance, I don't think anybody really cared until the money, again, it comes back to money, mm. until the, the finances started getting so large for NFL, NBA, collegiate programming. And then they said, you know, maybe we should put a little bit more research <laughs> into what's going on here um, so that we can compete at a higher level. And you know, Louis is 100% correct. I think there was a lot of uh, feelings, you know, clearly I wasn't born, but, you know, Cold War era where we did not want to do anything that wasn't America. Right. If yeah. it wasn't America, we didn't want to have any part of it. If it was from anywhere else, you were accused of being, you know, a communist or, yeah. you know, anti-American or whatever the case may be. And I just think that sh- probably put us back a lot, yeah. <laughs> pretty yeah. far in terms of our training. Because, again, you got to remember – also in Russia, and Louis talks about this, you know, their system used to be for athletes, like when you were so young, yeah. you were kind of put in general play. And then by the time you were like eight or nine, you already selected already the sport. Decided, yeah, what yeah. sport are you going to play? So the research that they had done, you know, again, I'm not even saying it's ethical to do it, but the research that they actually did. <laughs> it's not nice, uh, you know, but it's kind of true. It's like if you're short, all right, you're probably not going to be the best at basketball. Like we got to make that choice <laughs> right and i don't know of any any university that would let you you know run <laughs> longitudinal studies on nine-year-olds you know testing their verticals and stuff um but you know again it, it, the research is there the data is there and, and it was really goofy for us not to utilize that yeah. i always and, always wonder if were, would they just like look at the kids light them up be like all right you're gonna suck at this sport which like how would they talk to the kids would they even be nice about that like no 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 you're not that good here like or would they just be brutally honest like <laughs> I'm sure it was just brutal, man. I don't see there to be any empathy or kindness in those conversations. But I mean, I don't know. Who knows? But, um, you know, and we still, I, when I was in school, my professor said that they, the, the research estimated at the time, there was a 20-year gap between when we found out something in the lab and then when it was actually applied on a daily basis in the general, in general, uh, you know, society, gyms, mm-hmm. and clubs, et cetera, 20 year gap. Wow. And it's not crazy to think about that because there was just like maybe four or five years ago where the New York times wrote an article about how stretching before you go for a run might not be the best thing to do. Right. And it's like, wait a second, that study came out, <laughs> I don't know, in the seven, in the seventies. Mm-hmm. And this is still news, but it, it just goes to show you, in my opinion, because exercise is so common it's so easy to do. Anybody can go pick up a weight and lift right. or go outside and run. Right. Because it's so common, I think a lot of people assume that it's also um, easy yeah. in terms of programming and, and the ability to do so. And it's like I tell anybody, um, you know, it all depends on what you're trying to get done. If you're just trying to like, you know, I don't know, get in a little bit of shape so that your blood pressure goes down or whatever, you know, probably it's not going to be super complicated for you. Right. You could probably go, you know, on a jog three times a week and you'd probably be okay. Yeah. But if you start talking about specific outcomes that you're asking for an athlete or for a strength athlete or whatever the case may be, 
that's when it starts the science and the and the experience. I don't want to just be science only because I think science is very lacking. Uh, the experience is huge. Mm. The experience really takes a role in crafting the the right program because again, this is another thing that I, I like to harp on. You get somebody who says, "Oh, training like this is works," and I'm like, that is a very basic level question when it comes to strength and conditioning. It's mm. actually one of the, in my opinion, the most basic questions or, or basic statements you can make is this works. Well, the way the body works is if you expose it to enough stress, it's going to adapt. Right. Of course it works. For I could long? say, hey, right. well, no, it's like, hey, I, I could put on a 50-pound weight vest and go run a mile every day, mm. and I would for sure get in better shape. But the question, the low-level question is, does it work? The higher-level question, to me, the most important question is, is it optimal? Mm. So, yes, anything in training works if you do it hard enough and long enough. But is it optimal for you in terms of results? Is it optimal for you in terms of recovery? Is it optimal for you in terms of uh, safety, hmm. just mitigating risk? You know, how many power lifters have you met who all they've done is straight bar work? Right. In the first five, five years of their career, they were great. Year eight, 10, eh, okay. And then by year 11 or 12, they're ripping pec tendons and tearing this and that. And I don't understand why it always <laughs> worked for me. Right. Well, because again, work is the, wrong, is the wrong question. You're pursuing the wrong thing in terms of what works. It's what's going to be optimal. Um, so anyway, we can go off on whichever tangent you want to go on. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what sports do you currently work with and what sport is your favorite to train? Sure. Um, uh, currently, it's kind of a weird spot for me because of, of COVID like right. it is for everyone. Right. You know, I worked with um, one of my main athletes back at EFT and then privately when I went out on my own was, you know, Lou Aldang. Right. I've worked with him for actually over 10 years now. Okay. So, um, you know, I would say like growing up, I played football in Texas and I played basketball and ran track and all that. Um, but basketball was always my favorite sport mm -hmm. to play. And I would say it's probably my favorite sport to train. Mm. Um, because I just think it's, there's a lot of levels to it. There's a lot of layers to it. And it's not just the performance on the court it's managing the athlete throughout uh, an NBA season, mm. which if you think about like when I first started working with Luol, which was 2010, when he was leading the league in minutes and was, a, you know, we got our first all-star in, well, I don't remember, 2012, maybe somewhere around there. And back then they used to play four games in five nights. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, so, so you're How do you to work him out and he's like, I'll beat up a damn game. I got another one tomorrow. Shit. I mean, yeah, no, he's literally le leading the league in minutes. And remember, this is prime Kobe. This is prime LeBron. Right, yeah. This is prime Dwayne. This is prime Carmelo. This is like, and he's playing more minutes than all those guys. Right. And he's still scoring at a high enough level to be considered an all-star. And you think about the schedule. So it's like, man, that's a lot of different factors that you have to manage, which I think is really intriguing. Mm -hmm. You know, like, like NFL is a lot of fun to train. I trained, you know, I think I had eight or nine pro bowlers that I, that I worked with. Mm -hmm. And, and then I probably had a hundred just, you know, NFL athletes who most people had never heard of because, you know, there's 50 something guys on a roster and yeah. have the squad. And, that's why I can't know, follow football. I can't because of that. <laughs> and I can't see them. I'm just like helmet, helmet. Oh, Tom right. Brady. Okay. Aaron Rodgers. I don't know. I can't keep yeah. track. <laughs> and those are, and those are such of the, those are such of the like rare cases, to be honest, mm -hmm. like the Tom Brady's and Aaron Rodgers, like most of the NFL is in and out within a year or two. Right. The injuries, so, right? I mean, yeah. well, just, and then there's just the, the, the economics problem. Right. 
if you've been in a league for two years, your minimum salary goes up. Mm. So if you're like on the fringe of a team, the GM says, okay, I know what this guy can do, but I'm going to have to pay him a hundred or $200,000 more. Or I can draft this guy from Clemson who I don't know what he's going to be, <laughs> but he's, he's cheaper and he's younger. Is it, so, I mean, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I don't want to cut you off, yeah. but just so I, cause I always want to learn a bit, a little bit of insight, how the NFL yeah. works. Do you think that's like the lack of, power between their players association or just the way the owners operate that that's how they have such control over some to me that doesn't make sense like yeah you wouldn't hire the guy that you know what can do probably makes you more money but they're just like save 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 for more money in my pocket like yeah i think i think it's both i think um you know the nba in my opinion is a player's run yeah, yeah. it doesn't mean that the owners um you know don't have power and they don't have control and all that stuff it just means that from the top down the emphasis is towards the players. Hmm. And in the NFL, it's the complete opposite. Right. The emphasis is what the league wants to do and then what the ownership groups want to do. Hmm. And, I mean, we've seen it time and time again, right? Like, you just – oh, man, we could go off all day on, on what happened with Kaepernick. Oh, and, my buddy uh, trains know, him at, at my gym oh, in man. New York. I've, yeah, Kaepernick is one of the coolest. He's been training him for like four or five years. Uh, Josh Hildago, I don't know if you know him, but he, he studied under DeFranco and everything. Yeah, and, I mean, he's nice. been in shape, like – yeah, but I mean, he's just, off the court. It's crazy. I mean, you have, yeah, no, you have the majority of, you know, the players who are supporting not only him, but what he's, what he's standing for. And then you have the majority of the owners, in my opinion, who did not. Mm -hmm. And because the owners wanted it in the NFL, that's what happened. But look at, look at the NBA and, you know, the reports that are coming out about the restart, they're going to be able to put um, messages on the back of their jerseys instead of their name. They're going to have Black Lives mm. Matter on the court. Yeah. Could you imagine the NFL field painted with Black Lives Matter? Like right. I can't, I can't see, I can't see Jerry Jones doing that. Yeah, he's not. And it's, and I'm just, I mean, I'm just saying, like that. And the, are they the even league. more black than the than the NBA percentage wise is, like player wise? Uh, that's a good question. I really yeah. don't know. I really don't know. That's a good question. I mean, are but the I mean, players too scared to like step up to that? degree because i feel like there's probably more people that want to lean i mean neil but they're like even more disposable than caps so they're like i'm not going to do that i only got five years to play or whatever i think so um you know i think so when everything was going on originally with kaepernick i was still training a lot of nfl players and i heard that from some guys i heard some from some guys that they wanted to to be more active they wanted to kneel but they really were concerned about their job safety because they are expendable right. you got to remember too in the NBA, the majority of contracts are guaranteed money. Right. In the yeah. NFL, the majority are non-guaranteed. And by majority, I mean like 99% are <laughs> non-guaranteed. Right. So they're literally paid week to week, literally week to week. So if they cut you before Sunday, they don't have to pay you for that week. You right. get paid because you played on Sunday. And they so, don't have a second league. Like, you know, the NBA, there's a nope. million. You know, you can go overseas, blah, blah, and still make millions. Like, they don't have that. They just got, what, the nope. Canada? Like. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and Canada, and Canada actually has restrictions on how many players from the U.S. can be on the team. Ah, so it's yeah. not even like all the U.S. players could just go to Canada right. because Canada's like, well, wait a second, then we wouldn't have any, most likely, any Canadian players there. Right. So um, it's not. Yeah, the NFL is like literally like if you're in, you're in, and if you're out, you're out. There's no in between there. Mm. So it's a very, it's a very weird space. And, I, and again, in terms of like why the disparity. I really don't know. I'm sure it's it's got to do like we said earlier with money, mm -hmm. <laughs> and just and just um, you know the nature of of the NFL, um, you know over the years and and who owns it and and all that stuff compared to the NBA. But um, 
I also think the NBA is just a lot more relevant with culture, in my opinion. Too. Yeah. But anyway, um, so yeah, so so the NFL is is in my opinion easier to train. They mm-hmm. only have sixteen games; they're one they're a week apart. Mm-hmm. So the hardest part about the NFL isn't. And then think about travel; they only travel eight times a year. <laughs> I mean, if they're not going to the playoffs, nice. You yeah. know, maybe one preseason game. Right. So, like, you're talking about under 10 flights a year, and those are usually the day before a game, and then they're right back to the next day. Right. You think of the, the NBA, over 82 games, all those, you know, 40, 41 road games. Maybe going from L.A. Know, to Toronto. <laughs> oh, it's crazy, the flights. Yeah. And people don't realize that they fly at night. They fly after games. Yeah, and they'd so be getting, getting there like 3 a.m. and shit, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just a whole all different right. thing. And so I, th- I just think the NBA is, is very complex in terms of training somebody for it and preparing them for it. The NFL, it's still a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. You see some crazy, crazy athletic stuff in, both in terms of strength and power because, you know, the guys are just so much bigger. Yeah. Um, but in terms of, like, planning and programming, I don't think it's super difficult to do just conceptually speaking. How many days a week do you have in season the football guys train and then compared to NF, I mean, compared to the NBA. Now, I know they still got to practice probably with their team, but if you're right. the individual guy and you're like, all right, but we need to do this stuff, you know, because depending on the team, that strength coach may not be that great. And it's like, all right, sure. we need to like kind of undo or add to whatever they've already done. Like, how do you, how do you do that NBA versus uh, M- uh, NFL? Yeah. So in, in the NFL, I would say my best guys, like a Matt, like a Matt Forte, for instance. Okay. Right. Matt Forte was um, a pro bowler. He actually led the league in yards per scrimmage for 10 years straight. People don't understand how good this guy was <laughs> for 10 years straight. He led the league in yards from scrimmage because the thing is what Matt did back then that it wasn't that long ago, but it seems like it was, he was a receiving running back in addition to running. Right. And back then, people used to knock him. Oh, we wish you were more like Adrian Peterson, so you could just line up in the backfield and run the eye. Mm-hmm. And Matt's like, "Why would I do that? Like, I can re- I can catch the ball, and I don't get hit as much." Like, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and he actually he led the league for a decade in yards from scrimmage. And we're not even talking about this guy in terms of Hall of Fame for ten years. Anyway, the point is, mm-hmm. um, a guy like Matt who was crazy dedicated to uh, his workouts and to taking care of himself. A guy like Matt, um, I would see probably three times during the week in season. Mm-hmm. So he would come in usually Monday for like basically prehab, recovery, maybe soft tissue work, kind of a mix of everything, mm-hmm. um, you know, because he would be kind of beat up. Tuesday would actually be like a lift. And usually, again, that lift was uh, very scaled back compared to what we would do, um, you know, off season, but it was still a, a fairly tough lift because that would be to me the best day of the week to do it because you're going to get rid of whatever soreness is left from the game mostly unless it's an injury obviously right um but then you also have the optimal amount of days to recover before sunday Mm -hmm. so if we're going to push intensity we're going to push it on a tuesday wednesday they would usually be off from me specifically um and then thursday i would see him again and thursday would be more of like sled work band work um, you know, maybe some jumping work, but to like a box, something where you're not like eccentrically like just smashing somebody. Right. Um, that's a typical NFL schedule. And that was like, I would say Matt was for sure the most consistent person I had who, who would stick to that. But that's what I would recommend for guys. Mm. You know, NBA is, oh my gosh, it's just completely, you can't plan. You know, you do, really do you just can't. go week by week and when you can get them in, you get you them go, in. You, 
you go day by day. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can't, you know, I, I've told this to many coaches, like, you know, I understand the world of like 12 week programming. I understand why it's there because some people want to spend 10 or 20 bucks and I, I get it. But in terms of like professional athletes, probably even collegiate athletes, it's super unprofessional to write somebody a 12 week program. Does it make sense? Yeah. yeah. Because I don't know what's going on. Like I said, if Luol played four games in five nights and he guarded LeBron game one, Kobe game two, Dwayne Wade game three, and then Carmelo game four, which by the way happened. Mm-hmm. And he, and he averaged, I don't know, 40, you know, 40 minutes, 42 minutes, whatever it was. I can't say, oh, well, six weeks ago, I thought we should do a max effort box swap, so we're just going <laughs> to run it. Like, you know, like, right. full send, buddy, let's go. Like, it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. So what I, would, what I would always do is we had a good relation. I mean, we still do. Like, he's like my brother. But we would talk about, um, you know, how do you feel? What's coming up? <clears throat> what do I know in my head that we haven't done over the last week? And what do we need to get in? And a lot of times we would train after games because he's already warm. He's still fired up. Nobody plays an NBA game at a high level and just goes to sleep. Right. He's still fired up. And that, again, it gives us the optimal amount of time to recover. So if you're in a normal NBA schedule, you're playing like every other day roughly mm-hmm. or every, you know, every two or three days. Mm-hmm. So if we train after a game on a Monday and he doesn't play again until Wednesday night, now he gets to sleep twice on that training. Right. If and we 48 train hours of rest. Exactly. Right. If we train, if we train Tuesday, now he only gets one night of sleep. Right. And so, and again, we're not talking about super complex, crazy workouts. It's a lot of like tempo work so that we're using lighter weights and we're kind of maximizing time under tension to keep both his strength and his, um, you know, tendons and connective tissue strong mm-hmm. because in season for an NBA athlete, I don't need to do, if any, um, explosive work mm-hmm. because they're practicing they're playing i don't know what's more explosive than playing in the nba game you're literally jumping forwards backwards sideways sprinting like that's that's plenty of power work i don't need to have them in the gym you know banded sumo deadlifting in season because the the purpose of of explosive training is to teach your body how to apply the strength that you have towards a specific action right increase your motor fiber recruitment etc etc he, he's he's doing that part of it in terms of applying his strength in the in the games, right? Right, like that's the that's actually the most optimal way to do it. Now, if I had a guy who was like 13th or 12th man on the roster and he's playing, you know, three minutes a game on average, yeah, for sure we're going to do that stuff. Right. But for a guy like Luol, there's just no point. It's more about how can I keep his strength? How can I keep his um, his muscle mass? To be honest, when you're running that much, right? Yeah. You know, how do I keep him from wasting away? And how do I keep his connective tissue strong? Well, you know, time under tension, which can really be done through, you know, tons of band, of band work, right? You just do 40 or 50 reps of bands or you do tempo work. So, hey, we're going to do, a, you know, a lap pull down with a four second eccentric because then the weight itself is lighter. And I don't have to do as much um, as much volume because we're getting the intensity done quickly through the eccentric work. Right. Right. Um, you know, I've always wanted to see, and I don't know how you would quantify it, but a study where you look at, uh, you don't look at intensity anymore. It's just reps, you know, time set, time weight. You would, you need to be able to factor tonnage, in. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's a traditional way to do it. Right. Yeah. But you need to, you need a way to factor in. I'll put it this way. All right. If I ask you and I said, Hey, I want you to, um, squat an eight second eccentric. Mm. Okay. For a set of four. Mm. 
And let's say we did four sets of that. So you ended up doing four, eight, 12, 16 reps. Mm-hmm. All right. Or I said, I want you to do eight sets of two, you know, of a, of a squat, right? So we're going to end up at the same reps. But if you're doing an eight second eccentric for four reps for four sets, mm-hmm. you, which one's going to be harder? Right, 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 right. <laughs> like, so, so there's something to be said for, you know, intensity, and especially like through eccentrics. Um, where maybe we don't do instead of like, let's say the total is 16 reps, maybe I can get the same effect with only two sets of four instead of four sets of four. So one way I had to do eight sets of two because I'm doing it faster or the other way I can maybe do eccentric work and cut the volume in half, which is a real big benefit for, again, a guy in the NBA who has limited time and limited capacity. Right. So I would try to use a lot of those um, techniques when I was training Luol so that we could get our workout done in like 45 minutes and he wouldn't feel, you know, super beat up the next day and he could continue to perform. And again, you know, I, I know I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm the reason why any athlete succeeded because I'm not, you know, I can't make somebody something that they're not. I can't do that. All I can do is prepare them to use the gifts that they have to the best of their ability. Mm. That's all I can do. So like with Luol, I would say the proof is in the pudding because he was able to be the best he could be on a given night for a very, very long time. Um, and a guy like Matt Forte, again, you know, he was able to be the best he could be on a, on a Sunday for a very, very long time. So that means that I'm doing my job correctly. Okay. Where is your, uh, your base where you train your clients and do you stay there or do you mostly travel to your clients right now? Yeah. So now um, I travel. I don't train anybody um, at like one particular place anymore. Mm. You know, again, when I used to, I used to manage and run EFT sports performance. Uh, clearly I was at a base, you know, mm. I would get there. I would get there at like three forty-five in the morning and I would train myself because I had clients starting at five. Oh, wow. So, and I would train adults. Uh, we had this group of guys, they called themselves the RFG club, which stood for rich fat guy club. <laughs> And that's, I'm not kidding. That's what they call themselves. And they were uh, CEOs and CFOs and COOs of really big companies in Chicago. But they liked the elitism of working out where, you know, pro athletes train. Right. And they, they wanted to train with me because I trained at the time, you know, our biggest athletes. Right. So I said, well, I, I have to do it before 10 because starting <clears throat> at our schedule, like 10 to 2 was our pro athlete time. Right. So I had clients 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 on the hour one-on-ones with this RFG club. So I would train myself at 345. I would train adults for five hours straight. And then at 10, my pros would start coming in. So again, depending on the time of year, it could be baseball, it could be basketball, it could be football, whatever. Um, for like the next four hours was basically pro time. Was it pretty groups much, or just one-on-one with the pros? It was, it was both. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if a guy had an injury um, or a guy like, like Matt, who was just crazy, you know, heads and shoulders above everybody else in terms of talent, um, I would traditionally get them in one-on-one right, or right, right. smaller groups. You know, like Matt used to work out with another athlete I trained, Asia Evans, who mm-hmm. won an Olympic medal in bobsled. Mm-hmm. Well, a- Asia, man, her best seated box jump is, I mean, I have to look it up, but I believe it's 52 inches. Oh, and, wow. oh, she's crazy explosive. She can squat. I've seen her squat 405. No belt, no no wrist wraps, no knees. She doesn't know. She just she was in. Uh, where was she at? She was somewhere on on the on the bobsled tour, and they just set up the gym in like parking garages, so it's because it's so cold. Mm-hmm. And they literally just set up a rack, and she's like, "Oh, I'm just gonna do 405 today, just boom, up and down, no problem." 
And mm-hmm. it's like she's she's one of the most athletic people, probably the most athletic person I've ever trained, period. Because how light was and she? <laughs> she wasn't I mean, I mean, it depends on what your definition of light is. I would say she's not that light. She would she would she would uh weigh in around one sixty five. Something like that. Height? Uh she's pretty tall. Again, I'm I'm tall, so to me everyone is just shorter than me. I know that sounds you know, whatever, but it's just it's true. I don't know I don't have a good reference for like the difference between five eight or five nine, but I right. would guess she's somewhere somewhere around there. Okay. Well my girl is like five nine and so yeah. I know how and she doesn't weigh one sixty five. So I can see one sixty five on an athlete. That that makes sense. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. So um so anyway, Matt actually liked to work out with her because if they would go to do, to do any sort of jumping or sprinting work or power work, Asia would probably be right there with them or even beat them. Oh, so that's definitely um, motivation because the girl's beating you. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And then again, you know, she's competing at the highest level. Right. So Matt, Matt would feed off of that. Right. Now, I wouldn't put Matt with like a second year guy on a practice squad because he's behind him athletically. He's behind him skill and he's behind him in terms of motivation most, most of the time. Hmm. So I would you know, and again, I would kind of let Matt lead it in terms of like, I would ask him what he felt. I wouldn't necessarily say, Hey Matt, here's what we're going to, you're going to train with this person today. Right. I would just kind of like on the side, like, Hey, what do you think? Do you, I think we should work out with Asia today because we're going to be doing a lot of explosive work. He'd be like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. You know, again, with my, with my other guys who were, you know, not at that level, we would do them in groups because a, it's cheaper for them. Um, and B, I don't know that they needed, you know, the level of like one-on-one attention like that doesn't people sometimes like oversell the one-on-one thing right like your body is somehow uniquely different from everyone else's body in the entire planet (laughs) and i like to remind people we all have literally the same exact muscles there's not a single person on the planet who has a different muscle than i do right so when you're talking about i have a group of like defensive backs why do they all need to come in on a separate hour you know plus also it's super boring like yeah, them, yeah, yeah. Like it's just they, they get pumped like when they're together. Yeah, and you can get Absolutely. through that sucky. You know, they're doing planks and stuff they don't want to do. If it's like right. a group, makes it much easier. It makes it so much easier. And again, if we had a guy with with an injury or a specific uh, mobility restriction, that was my job. I would make sure that with even within those groups, when we did our prehab, we had specific things set up for those guys to address those issues. But when you start getting into like the larger talk about, okay, strength and power and developing speed, those aren't unique problems for anyone at that level. Again, you got to remember what level we're talking about. At that level, everyone's strong and everyone's fast. And so I don't have to craft unique solutions for every (laughs) single uh, person that ever came through our door Hmm. because it's not necessary. And I would even argue, like you were saying about the camaraderie and and the morale of being in a group, it might even be detrimental to the athlete. Hmm. Now, some people are really like isolationists. They're, they're socially awkward. They don't like to be in groups. Of course, we would train those people by themselves. It wasn't like a rule, right. but we would just kind of tell them like, hey, if you want to train in a group, here's the rate. If you want to train one-on-one, here's the rate. And 99% of people would choose a group. Right. It's cheaper. It's more fun. Um, you know. And again, football is a team sport too. So they're used to that mentality of being around other guys, working with other guys. It was just a really natural fit. Right. Um, how is ba- balancing family responsibilities in a job that requires traveling so much? Oh yeah. I didn't even get in. I didn't even get into that. I just got off on EST. Um, so yeah, so the last four years I've traveled. So, you know, you do your taxes, you have to put how many days you traveled so that you can write stuff off, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, two years ago, 
Um, I traveled 180 days of the year. I was not at my house. Yeah, literally half a year. Um, it's hard. It's for sure hard. I would not, you know, I, when I even when I got into working for myself, I said I'm not going to do this forever in terms of the traveling. You know, like with Luol, I knew we were coming to the end of his career. Again, not like the next year, but like within the next four to six years, we were going to come to the end of it. Mm. So I said, okay, I will do this for four or five, six years, whatever it needs to be, because I want to see you through the rest of your career because we're so close. And again, we can get off on this later, but Luol does a lot of um, foundation work mm. where we work with uh, South Sudanese refugee kids. That's where he's um, from. Mm-hmm. He's from South Sudan and he was a refugee. He fled, he fled civil war when he was five and lived in a refugee camp in Egypt for five years. And yeah, people, if you don't know Luol Deng's story, it's incredible what he's been through in his life. Um, But anyway, uh, so we work with South Sudanese, you know, whether they're first generation or second generation refugees, um, we we work with them specifically in terms of basketball camps in the U.S. And then we do some uh, camps in London, sometimes Australia. And it's a mix of South Sudanese or maybe just, uh, you know, it depends on the area that we're in and what the need is that we need to do there. But anyway, uh, there's so much work with Luol that I'll, I want to do outside of training him. I was like, yeah, I'll go four or five, six years traveling, whatever. It's not a problem. Um, but it's really, really difficult because you're you're subject to the NBA schedule. And then in the summer, it's, it is more flexible because um, there's nothing that you have to do as, a, as an athlete in the summer. But he's so busy doing humanitarian work and mm. camps and, and everything else that there is a very strict schedule. Right. So, you know, I don't have a lot of choice on when I do when I do certain things or, you know, I miss my girls ballet recitals for like three years in a row oh, because okay. it just always happened to be during uh, during camp. And it's like I can't I don't have a choice. Now, the flip side is. You know, if I'm not with Luol, let's say I know there's like a week where I'm not with him for sure. I can be anywhere I want to be. Right. right. <laughs> you know, so it's like I don't have to, quote unquote, take vacation because it's essentially built into my schedule. Mm. So there, there's pluses and minuses to it. But specifically to answer your question about the family piece, it's really, really difficult, especially as, you know, you start down that road of having kids. You know, we have three kids now, um, my wife and I, and it's just it's tough. Who's your favorite um, kid? Oh, the first one. Got it. No, I don't. No, don't have it. Don't have it. Don't have it. You know, it's it's crazy. You start having kids, man, and and you learn like you start to see things that and how each one are so unique, Mm -hmm. and you it's just I don't know. It's 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 a it's a fascinating it's a fascinating thing. I'm I'm approaching that that uh that door myself. We uh nice. We want to do it like next like year year and a half want to try yeah. to get pregnant and everything so we uh we're, we're looking forward like we got we got our two dogs as soon as we moved down here to atlanta in november mm-hmm. and now it's like all right we kind of want kids now. <laughs> it's like <laughs> so i'm just like trying to work hard so i can get so i can afford them <laughs> yeah like, yeah for sure yeah. for sure uh, but i mean kids are the best man yeah. in my opinion like marriage is like one of the best things you can do having kids is one of the best things you can do for a lot of reasons but it just takes you outside of yourself um, and gives you a chance to really like nothing makes you look in the mirror more than your kids because you have to examine yourself constantly in terms of how am I parenting? How am I leading? What are things that I see in them that I didn't realize I see in myself now, like that I do? And it's just, it's, it's crazy. I think how, uh, if you're, I'll put it this way, if you're an attentive parent, um, it's crazy how much 
you can learn from your children and then you have an opportunity to be a better person because of it. Oh, wow. Um, who is your favorite client? You know, I think I know the answer, but if you can say it, I don't know. Can you say it? No, no. I, I, say, <laughs> I mean, I would say for sure. Luol. Right, I mean, right. If I'm traveling, think about this. If I'm traveling 180 days a year, that means I'm spending half the year with my family and literally half the year with Luol. <laughs> right. Like he's basically like my brother. Like we're growing up in the same house. Right. Um, you know, so clearly if we didn't get along so well, I would not have had that relationship with him mm. because there's, there's NBA trainers who travel and stuff, mm. but they stay like kind of separate. You know, like they stay in their own hotel. They just see the guy like maybe right before the game and then on workouts, like when it was Luol, like when I travel with him, like we stay together, mm. like clearly we don't stay in the same room, but like if he has an apartment, let's say in like Minnesota, I have a room in that apartment. If his house uh-huh. in LA, I had a, ro- I had a room in that house. You know, like we're not, we're not like, hey, Jacob, come to LA uh, for a week, and I just want you to like wait for me all day and sitting around by yourself. Like we're very, very close, uh, which I'm very grateful for. How long but, did I mean, that take? Like, uh, was it like within the first few months of that first season you worked with him? How did it? And yeah, how did you I mean, meet I, him too? Like, tell me, tell me both of those things. How did how did that work? Sure. Yeah. So, um, I, when I when I flew up to interview for that job. Uh, the guy who owned the gym, Elias, asked me to just train people. That was like my interview. I trained for seven hours straight. Every hour on hour, I had a different type of person. I had college basketball. I had some Notre Dame football guys. I had Luol, you know, et cetera. And Luol told Elias, he said, yo, I just worked with this guy for an hour, but he's the best guy you have. And Elias was like, well, I don't have him yet. He's like, well, you need to get him. He knows his stuff. <laughs> and and, and, and my – Yeah, and my approach towards Luol was not to become friends with him. Because my thought is, this guy is is trying to be one of the best people in the world at what he does. Mm -hmm. And I need to show him that I'm the guy that can help him get there, right? That's the most important thing. Because we all have worked with people in the past that um, we maybe don't like. Right. But we we facilitate the working relationship because we know it'll get us to a place we want to be. Right. So, so my first thing was he needs to know that I'm the best person in this whole planet to help him do what he wants to do. Hmm. Because if that's if that's established, then he can respect me as a coach, as a string coach. Right. Hmm. That's the most important thing. So after the first probably year or two, I, I don't I, maybe I went to one game, maybe. Um, Luol had a box in Chicago, like literally a box with 12 tickets every single game. Mm-hmm. And because he's not from America, it's not like he has his mom and his sisters and stuff. I mean, they would come in town for Christmas, but like in general, if you think about 40 something games, 12 tickets is a lot to try to give to people when you're not from here. Right. <laughs> right. You know, you don't have tons of family and cousins and all that. Everybody's overseas for him. So I, I could have literally went to a game. Anytime I could have went to 40 something games a year if I wanted to, mm. but I, a, I was working. That's part of it. But B, I did not want to be the guy who's like, let me train you. And then at the end of our training session, I'm like, Hey, so can I like get some tickets? Bro? <laughs> like, because to me, it just, it reflected, it would reflect poorly on my intention. Right. You let him, him make that decision. And you just, exactly. Right. 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 Do my job. <laughs> I wanted him to know that I'm about my job first. Right. So over like two or three years, we, you know, we became friends. And, you know, he started – sometimes he would say, hey, come to my house to train me because I don't want to drive to the gym. And, again, we had a rate for all that stuff too. Like it wasn't a problem in terms of the financial side. Like he would pay for the time it would take to get there or whatever. Right. Um, but 
you know, and then like, you know, he would see how it, like if I was going to his house, I'd be there 10 minutes early. As soon as we're done, I would clean everything and then I would leave. I wasn't sitting around like, let's watch sports center, you know, whatever. And and so I think for him that let his guard down a lot, like, Hey, I can trust this guy because he's not trying to see what he can, like how he can benefit from me. He's really trying to help me benefit. Um, And so I really think that's how we became friends. Um, Because again, I think he had to respect me professionally first. And um, I also think that I didn't know it, but that laid down the, the, the foundation for our relationship for the rest of our career. Because anytime it came time to work, even though we are friends and we basically live together half the year, we would always switch into that same mode that I established those first two or three years where it's time to work. You know, he was never like, oh, Jacob, I don't want to do this. You know, come on. You know, you're my friend. We're going to go to dinner. Like he never, ever, ever did that because right. we both had that mutual respect of each other as professionals. Um, what is your training style and what type of program do you have your clients on? Yeah, I'm for sure conjugate. Um, you know, uh, as, as, uh, I saw maybe as a Dave Tate post recently, but you know, somebody calls it concurrent training. And I think that's a fair, that's a fair assessment. Right. Um, you know, you're training everything basically at the same time. Right. The reason why I tend to go with that style is there's a, there's a million reasons, but one of the most important, yeah, (laughs) one, it makes sense. Well, all right. Yeah, I can always diffuse this argument real quickly when people are talking about linear training right. and linear, specifically like periodization. I'm like, okay, wait a second. If I have an NFL player, okay, they get like two and a half months off and then they start mini camps. Mini camps are three, four day camps that they have to do throughout the offseason. They're mandatory. They don't have a choice. Okay. If I have a guy on a linear program and let's say he comes out of the season, I put him on a recovery program for four weeks and then we go into a strength phase for four weeks and then we go into a power phase for three and then we go into a, uh, you know, a speed phase for four. Let's say he shows up to mini camp in the middle of that strength phase. That by definition of me doing a strength phase, I'm not focusing as much on speed and power and conditioning. So if he shows up and he's out of shape and slow, guess what? He's out of a job. It's, it's right. like been in there. Seriously. Like they'll just cut you right there because they have a draft coming up. They have free agency coming up. They don't need you. Right. So from just a pure like need standpoint, all the professional athletes I've ever trained, they need to be at their best or working to be their best year round. Now that doesn't mean that I don't vary intensity. It's what we talked about earlier in right. season intensity changes a lot. But the principles of I'm trying to enhance everything within a given week it still stays the same. Right. Um, so I'm a I'm a very big fan of of conjugate. I think it is the way to train for everybody, especially athletes. I don't think there's even a comparison, to be honest. Right. Um, and again, I'm not I'm not a I'm not a bragging person. I'm not a whatever person. But if you just want to look at my record. Like name another strength coach that has eight pro bowlers, an NFL, um, an Olympic medalist, and an NBA All Star. Just right. go ahead. Like I'll wait. <laughs> You're not, there's not going to be many. So, How, when did you start using conjugate? Have, 2010. I don't know you, and that's when you started at that place in Chicago. Yep. Yep. So Elias, um, who I think is is a really uh, people don't know him, um, but he is a very um, intelligent uh, strength coach. He studied Louis' stuff. He studied DeFranco's stuff. He studied Parisi's stuff. And he kind of blended it together into um, his version of a conjugate for, like, athletic training. 
Right. Right. So like for his version, there would be like a max lower. There'd be a max upper. That's how you'd start the week on max lower. Mm-hmm. Next day would be max upper. Right. Wednesday would be like a mobility recovery speed day, basically. Mm-hmm. And then Thursday would be a dynamic. Now, dynamic days under his philosophy wasn't like speed squats or speed bench or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, it, it could include that, but that's not what the core of it was. The core of it was to do functional um, movements with power. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is not functional like, you know, overhead squats. I mean, functional like uh, athletic movements. So like most Thursdays would be sled work, uh, jumping work, um, you know, tire flips, right. med ball work, <clears throat> ladder push-ups, you know, monkey bar pull-ups, the things where you're, you're asking your body to apply that strength in a dynamic fashion. Which, now, would you do like both? Like, would you do your med ball throw preceding a dynamic bench and do jumps preceding? dynamic squats and deads like would you do that or are you just doing one or the other depending like if they're in season or off season yeah so when i when i first came in it was like a big circuit like eight or ten things back to back to back with with like Mm -hmm. minimal rest Mm -hmm. with so because he was like hey we might as well condition because if you're on a football field or an nba court you got maybe 10 to 30 seconds in between your plays right so we might as well set up eight or ten things and you have 10 or 30 seconds to get to the next thing and go Right, and he's and he, again, he. I would say he's not wrong about that. So, like, let's say we. I remember this one workout we had. It was a, it was, in my opinion, like the gold standard for the original dynamic day. We would do ladder push-ups mm-hmm. down the long agility ladder we had. So you end up doing like twenty-five. You know, you push up, you move over, right? Right. Push up, you move over. It's so like 20, 25 push-ups down and back. Then you would go into a reverse sled drag. Then you would go into like a TRX row. Then you would go into a forward sled drag. Then you would go into a med ball slam overhead. Then you would go into a, um, a a prowler push. Then you would go into battle ropes. Then you would go into like a tire flip. And then like that was a whole, you know, dynamic workout. So you could see real quick how conditioning would be not now, just conditioning. Is that like, like a, would you, are you combining the lower body and the upper body dynamic? Because it sounds like you're kind of doing a full. We, we did on, in his style, we did for sure. Um, because again, he saw it as like, the full body way to dynamically apply the strength and then add in a conditioning component that's again, functional specific to the sport. Right. Because like in football, you're always pushing on somebody. So you need the prowler. Right? Right. So you need the prowler. Like yeah. that's, a, that's an appropriate way to condition. Um, when I came in and I started to like really rev up my knowledge more specifically to conjugate. How did you do that? Did you just, get the books or did you get certified or like how did how did you go about learning man back back then there wasn't really certification right, it, was, right, right. it was just it was just books man pdfs uh hard you know the, did, had, they had the, did they sell everything on vhs yes no, elias, elias had all that he had the vhs's <laughs> he had the book and i would just study that stuff man and i would read online like uh you know back then t nation was a big thing Right, and there was so much like good. Content. Still, they still release a lot of stuff there. That, mm-hmm. that is pretty damn good though, too. Yeah, and like I would just read and read, and then I would I would make myself do it first for like two or three weeks in the morning when I would train myself, mm-hmm. and then I would ask my athletes to do it because I wanted to know what it felt like and how it like how it applied to me. Right. So then I started sprinkling in. Okay, we're gonna start a dynamic day with um, box banded box squats. Like in a true dynamic fashion, right? right. Like 40 or, 40 or 50% uh, straight weight, you know, 20% band weight, supersetted with some sort of a jump. Right. 
So so we might do five or six sets of that. So a lot of contrast methods. Mm-hmm. A lot of contrast. Right in, in, but then we would go into the like six or seven kind of full body things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I started sprinkling in, or we might do like you said, like dynamic bench work, superseted with some med ball, or we used to do like the tire, the partner tire passes, whatever. Okay. Um, or explosive push ups, or or some sort of explosive component you know, supersetted with the dynamic work. And then we go to, you know, deadlift or, or squat supersetted with a jump usually. And then we would do a circuit of things. Okay. So, so like you would do the two main, like you would do supposed to jump squat bench with the tire or the med ball, throw, whatever. And right. then you do your accessory work after. Yeah. And the accessory work kind of for that day would be like that full a circuit. You said, yeah, so then you kind of just do it. Okay. 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 Yeah. Um, and then Fridays for us were upper body volume bench. So it wasn't like a dynamic bench day. It was literally like bodybuilding style workouts. Mm-hmm. So um, because every athlete we had needed size. We, I don't think I ever trained somebody who was trying to lose weight. I take that back. Uh, on Instagram, if you follow Spice Adams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I used to train him. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. He is just Gold. I love him. <laughs> no, I love Anthony. Is he like, that I funny, mean, like, just, like, on the regular? Or is he kind of calm? Like He's actually really calm. <laughs> like, really calm, actually. How did he get um, into doing all that stuff? <laughs> no, I can, I can tell you. So, so I trained him uh, for, like, two years because, he remember, he was on the Bears. And right, right. When he first came, this was this was towards the end of his career. He was trying to lose weight because he was, in his opinion, like too heavy for his position. Mm. And I don't remember exactly what he was, but it would have been, if I remember right, he would have been in the high three hundreds for sure. Oh shoot! Um, and he was still playing. It's not like he was out of shape. He just right. felt like he was too heavy. Mm. And um, so that's probably one of the only people that like I helped to lose weight. But as he was coming to the end of his career, he kind of saw it coming. He was actually going – he was doing a master's at uh, Penn State in the summer. Oh, wow. Because he was trying to prepare for the next phase of his life, right? Like, he's a really, really intelligent like, – What does, he, what does he do besides just Instagram stuff? Well, that now – I mean, as far as I know, that's all he does now. Oh, wow. So, so back then, I remember when he first started making videos, he would make it with, like, Matt Forte or Tommy Harris, like, all these guys are, you know, Bears players. <laughs> And they were just so dumb. Like, it was just so dumb, but it was funny. You know, it was like, it was just, and it was a lot of inside jokes. And I think it's like anything. He he kept at it long enough to where he became an expert. Right. He found out, okay, even if this is, you know, kind of dumb or, you know, it's still funny. And here's why it's funny. And I can recreate that. Mm-hmm. And he just, it was the right timing of him kind of trying to, to work on that when Instagram was starting, right. you know. And it just really worked out that it happened to be the end of his career. He was trying to think about his next phase. Instagram was starting. He clearly enjoys doing it. You know, like all those things you kind of wrap in together, you know, led to where he is now. Um, but I still talk to him a couple of times a year. I saw him in London last year randomly. He was filming like a baking show over there. And, uh, you know, anyway. But I love him, man. He's such a good guy. He's such a good person, man. He's a great dad. He's a great husband. He's, he's, I can't support him enough. He's an when, awesome guy. When he makes the videos of him, like, in the old school outfits, and he's, like, mm-hmm. DJing, oh, my God. <laughs> it's the best. Um, it's the best. So, uh, what are things a player should look for in a strength coach? I think um, the most important thing to me is for the athlete to look for a coach that's trying to do uh, what's best for the athlete. So I've met a lot of strength coaches and a lot of trainers who 
they're sold on X method, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to do X method until the end of time because for whatever reason, they're just so dogmatic in that belief that that's the way to go. Right. To me, that's somebody you should run from because they're not thinking about you as an athlete. They're thinking about what they feel comfortable in. So like, for instance, um, I don't know if you remember the uh, like FMS uh, Gary Gray stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that was a whole wave in like the early 2010s, yeah. 2012. That's all you and hear it, people like talking about. And they were, they had this whole program for it and you could get certified. And I did the certification for the, for the testing because NFL teams were starting to test. So I was like, I need to be able to prepare these. It's like anything. I need to prepare them for their test. Right. I don't want them going in there getting ones. I want them going there getting threes because if they get ones, they could literally lose money or lose a job. Cause back mm-hmm. then, if you got a one on the hurdle step over, they're like, Oh, <laughs> you're going to be at a higher risk for an ACL tear. And it's like, <laughs> you know, there's no data that has ever shown any of that to be true, but it's just because it's new and it's trendy and, and they're always looking for ways to quantify risk. So I get why it became popular, but like every other assessment that's ever come out, there's been no consistency to it. Um, but anyway, so I learned all that stuff. And then I met a trainer who all he would do is train people in those um, derivatives of those tests. So, you know, they had a whole handbook for if a guy tests bad on a hurdle step over, what are you supposed to do to correct it? And at best, you could call it prehab. At worst, it's probably a waste of time. Right. And but this guy would take an athlete for an hour through prehab in, in a waste of time, in my opinion. Like yeah, the guy I, I would understand, like I get correct exercise and sure. prehab work and recovery, but it's like if you in or you're doing the, the, the trigger guns things and it's like if you're using like your whole hour or like every single time you're spending half your time doing that, like you could spend that time getting them strong, which will actually make them less injury prone. Exactly. <laughs> because see, that's another fallacy that a lot of trainers fall into is like they look at a guy who, who he can't pass his FMS and say, oh, you can't squat. You can't <clears throat> run. You can't do anything until we correct this because you're at a higher risk. You're not moving properly. Bob. And I, I turned around to the guy and I said, well, wait a second. This guy's right. in the NFL. <laughs> like, clearly he, he can run. Clearly, he can squat. Clearly, he's in the elite of the elite of the elite of the elite in terms of athleticism. You think because he had one poor score <laughs> on this stupid test that somebody made up that somehow he needs to be trained like he's a five-year-old? Like, this doesn't make sense. And I'll tell you the best example. I had a guy named Bruce Gaston. I'll never forget it. Bruce played uh, – he was a defensive tackle at Purdue. And when we were training him for the pro day, his feet were <laughs> as duck – footed as you could possibly imagine they literally like hit the insides of his foot would point <laughs> forwards at all times okay i'm not kidding and bruce was probably 380 pounds something like that he went to his pro day wow. and was 4940 and jumped and jumped a 36 inch <laughs> vertical like nah you need to you can't be running and jumping though because of duck feet <laughs> no that's what happened. Oh. I'm not kidding. The, the guy at our gym, like, he was like, no, no, you can't do that. You, you know, but he needed to do all this stuff. I said, he's been this way his whole life. He played four years of college football at Division One school like this. Do you think this is going to change? Maybe that's just the way he was born. Like, at the end of the day, your body is a physical, hard yeah. structure, right? You can't, you can't completely rechange yeah, the way that you're And how your much time are you have with him? You're not going to get him seven days a week, 24 hours a day to be like, oh, let's fix your duck feet, too, by the way. Like, 
<laughs> right. And again, let's just say you could fix it. At most, maybe you mm-hmm. could modify yeah. it an inch, maybe. Like at the end of the day, that's right. just how the guy's built. So, you know, you have to really work on that. Um, and, and, and just, I'm sorry, you have to work with what you have. Again, that's why I came back to the beginning. I'll never say that I made anybody because I didn't. I took what I had right. and I tried to optimize it. So with Bruce, we just took what we had and tried to optimize it. Clearly, that guy could perform. Right. There's nothing wrong with it. And so I've seen that too many. I've seen that too many times over and over and over and over and over and over and over, where people who shouldn't be able to do X, Y, or Z are more than capable and in the elite of the elite in doing that. And so what I, I bring all that to say, if you meet somebody who's like so dogmatic to a specific method that they can't, I would even use conjugate as a good example, right? So when I went to see Louis a couple years ago, um, I talked with Tom a lot too because Tom mm-hmm. trains a lot of their athletes, right? And Louis was the best. I mean, I've never met a guy who's that successful, who was that humble. You know, he, he brought us to breakfast. He paid for it. He bought us lunch, paid for it, bought us dinner, paid for it. He'd come back at night, open the gym just for us mm. because we were there. And he would train. He would give us, he would train us like anything you wanted from Louis. And you didn't even have to ask. He was just so giving of his time and his knowledge. It was crazy. And then I would, of course, I want to talk to Tom because he works with athletes. So, you know, like, hey, Tom, my first questions were about what we're talking about in terms of how do you apply time to get towards athletes. And Tom and I have a lot of similar viewpoints. But I said, hey, Tom, specifically, when it comes to box squatting, do you think people should only box squat? He said, this is somewhere where I disagree with Louie. I don't think people <laughs> should only box squat. I think there's a place for pause squats. I think there's a place for free squatting, et cetera. And – I was really relieved right. to hear him say that because even though with my NFL athletes, for instance, I box squatted them 90% of the time, there would be some people that I wouldn't because they needed to work on um, learning how to control awareness. the weight and everything. On, you know, Jared Bittney from the weight. Yeah, yeah, just, Do you know him? Oh, uh, well, he, no, he, he, ha- I, he, he's a big, he's a conjugate guy and he has like a bunch of kids that he took from like 20 inch verticals to like 40 inch verticals. Like, I, I would be surprised if yeah. you don't know some of his athletes because a lot of them, he has a lot of guys that are like in the NFL, but he talks about like, I have a lot of kids mm-hmm. when they start out that I don't put them on the box squat. I want them free squat to learn and to control the bar because if not, they're just plop on the box and then they get their back hurt and then they're not getting the most out of it. So why yep. not go and have them free squat first for sometimes a while? It just takes, you know, until they know how to actually control yep. that bar, I'm not going to then put them on the box because then they rely on the box, you know, and then you're not getting anything out of it. Right. And, and here's what and if you translate what he's saying, it's, it's what I'm saying, which is he's putting right. his athletes first, right. not the method first, because you can get so dogmatic to the method that you forget about your athletes. And that's not our goal. Our goal is to maximize this athlete. So you have to look at them and say, well, what can I do for them? What do they need to do for them? Now, that doesn't mean that the right. principles are wrong about conjugate. The principles are correct. But how you apply the principles have to be right. specific to the athlete and what they need. So you got to find a coach who um, I think puts athletes first. And, you know, again, ideally, um, they're not doing a linear-based programming. Again, it works. It, it brings us back to the beginning of the conversation, right? Linear programming works. Nobody's ever disputed that. Mm-hmm. But is it optimal? Right. Is it what's best? That's the question right. that we should be asking, and that's the question that the athlete should be asking of their strength coach. Are we doing what's best? Or I, are we just doing I, what I works? think also because there's a big difference. Uh, I can't remember if it was someone from Westside. It may have been Louis. Where they're talking about, I think it was John Quinn. 
I don't know if you know him, but he was talking about how you can't mm-hmm. apply yeah. linear system to the body when it doesn't act linear either. And I think, especially if you're not maybe dealing with the optimal, you know, the elite athlete, that linear system can work, mm-hmm. but I feel like it can't work for everyone and it won't have effect long-term for most people. But like you said, you can take conjugate and right. apply it to any, any sport, any athlete, and you could just adapt it. But the linear system, when you're going away from things that you need at different times, they're not always ready. And if you're not the best athlete, they're either going to get hurt because they're lacking, you know, they lost muscle now, they lost power, they lost strength, or they're not getting that job because now they've gotten weaker, you know. And then that kid can work as hard as he wants, but if he's not the LeBron James type of DNA in genetics, he's he's probably not getting that same job, you know. Why do, why do people Absolutely. stick with it and, and they don't want to – is it because, like, whoever trained them, trained them linearly and they don't want to go away from it? I, 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 to me, it's – and I'm like – I'm always one of those guys, like, I love the way Louis thinks where it's like, I don't care about being right. I care about getting better so then my athletes get better. And I just don't understand how you can't open exactly. your eyes to how much better it is to train conjugate. I just don't – why would you go away from being at your best at all times, you know? Right. I mean, but, uh, you know, I don't understand. You would have to you you would have to um, get into a whole nother debate with some experts about like the human psychology (laughs) side of it. But I think I think it has a lot to do with what you said, like somebody that really was important to them, influenced them in a certain way. And it's hard to let go of that. I think there's like loyalty. There's like respect things that are going on there. Um, And then I also think, too, that honestly, and this is going to sound it's going to sound bad, but I'm just going to say it. Um, I think some people right. don't think about it. They really don't. They just, they, they look at, they look at training as very formulaic. And if I do X, Y, and Z, I'm going to get, you know, right. this result. And I just need to do the formula. I don't need to think about why I'm doing it or how I could be doing it better. I just need to do the formula. And <clears throat> sometimes that's a result of some certification programs out there. Not all of them, but some of them, some of them teach you that. You know, you get this adult and he's in this kind of shape. Here's the plan. Here's like we talked about earlier. Here's your 12 week plan, buddy. Go for it. And and they're taught to like, just follow the plan. Just follow the plan. That's all you do is follow the plan. And I think there's a place for that kind of training in the world because some people could probably follow the plan and be okay. I think if you're trying to be the best that you can be and, and whether it's uh, your personal fitness, whether it be athletically, whether it be in, in a street sport, you have to push for somebody who doesn't mm. train like that. You know, again, look at it like, um, you know, any other industry you want to, you want to pick up <clears throat> in any industry. There's a lot of people who just follow the plan. They go to work right. and they follow the plan and there's nothing wrong with that. But then there's people. Yeah. Who push get outside the box. Those change, are ones that, right? you know, become the great ones. And those <laughs> are the ones. Exactly. And I think it's, sim- I think it's mm. similar in coaching. And I don't know. I don't know why that seems to be the case in terms of consistency across industry, but it really, in my opinion, seems to be that way. Um, you know, it's 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 just it's a very interesting subject that I don't have the knowledge to like really figure that out. But um, I mean, I think too, though, part of it with Louis, because he's so outspoken and he's so, um, you know, I don't know what the word is. Yeah, like blatant. What I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I think it. I think it turns. No, I think yeah, it turns yeah, a lot yeah, of people yeah. off. Uh, 
Um, because, you know, I've heard this a million times and I'm sure everyone has in some form, form or version, but people say all the time, like, um, you could be right in what you're saying, but if you're wrong in the way yeah, you're they saying, were just talking about wrong. that with Rudy Gobert and how he's talking to Donovan Mitchell about passing on the ball. It's like, yeah, you're oh probably kind of right, but like, you better say it nicer or he going to get you kicked <laughs> off the team because he's right. the future Dwayne Wade. Right. Right. So, you know, but exactly. I don't know, Louis, I guess it works for no, Louis I mean, and maybe he's just like, whatever it makes but I, I was going to say, oh, it makes him stand out that much more because he's one of the few that are making great athletes. But he spreads his knowledge so much. I think he just – he doesn't want to put the energy to be that nice guy because he just feels like, you know what? No. There's, like, <laughs> if you ever talk to somebody that's like an NASM guy oh, – I can't even with those people. But, but you know, any, anybody like that, right. they believe cold-heartedly that they're just absolutely right, just like we know – we're right about the conjugate style, but they just right. won't go. And, and if they have like a PhD, if they're a physical therapist, they're a doctor, they're going to be like, well, they're Louie and them. They're not, you know, approved by this medical blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, but you know right. what the medical proof is? It's all the kids that he's getting from 15 inches to 40 inches that you're not consistently, right. no matter the genetic build. That's enough proof right there. And then I think yep. a lot of times people have an opinion about conjugate but don't read any of the books. And the funny thing is, like, Louis Cert, half the books are not even ones he wrote. They're from doctors and from scientists that dominate in other sports. So he uses all that and puts it – but, like, people will just see – a lot of people still think it's only powerlifters at the gym, but now it's basically the opposite and it's almost all athlete. But, you know, I think it's that blinded knowledge and not even wanting to try. Maybe it's because they know they'll be – debunked or whatever you know that their, their methods that they've been using will then be like oh i gotta throw everything out no i, I really i really think it has to do with what, what we were saying like louis doesn't care to yeah. be diplomatic about it and there's a reason why diplomacy yeah. is a skill you know i mean there, there is there's a reason why certain times like ceos are hired for a company not because of their vision mm-hmm. because of their diplomacy their ability to get people to understand why we're doing this to get people to work together on why we're doing this to change the culture Mm. of a business right louis a vision guy he's a fire brimstone this is the way (laughs) we don't like it get the hell out kind of guy and there's nothing wrong with that i would never ever suggest that louis should change anything (laughs) about himself um but to me the the way that um the way that it has to get ushered forward into terms of the larger community would be um would be that more and more people become more diplomatic right. about it. And because when you're diplomatic about it, you lower the walls for people who are, you know, just kind of right. scared about getting their um, feet wet, get it in there, you know, somebody that's right. And then they just help them like, okay, you know what? Maybe I understand it because you're not yelling at You know, <laughs> you ever watch the tapes and when he talks about somebody doing something stupid and he's <laughs> the oh, way he does it, I just start crying from laughter. <laughs> But I'm like, yeah, I get it why, yep. like, but, you know, I feel like because of all the dudes that he has in there, like Tom and everything that I hope growing it, it's the same thing with, like, growing his business. Like, he wasn't, he's not, like, optimizing what he, all his worth because he just, like, doesn't care about social media or any of that. Like, it, it, yeah. Right, you know, right. He, it's a miracle that we got the documentary, you know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's a miracle. You know, like, if Louis, I guess, hadn't had, the experience and like of himself um, 
you know, like learning from other books. I don't think he would have taken the time to, to right. write them, to be right. honest. I think because his personality, like, let's say he would have figured this all out on his own. His personality is such that he would just keep pushing into yeah. his work 100 million percent and he wouldn't have taken the time to write. I think he took the time to write because so many other people impacted him and he yeah. feels a need to share that. And I'm glad he did. I mean, I'm, I'm super glad he did. And then again, if he did his work right, he inspires people like you and me to right. continue the work. And if we do our work right, we're sharing it like we're doing right now. We're talking, we're sharing your, your podcast. You have a platform, you're podcasting so that other people can learn. And then they take it a step right. further than we took it. And, and hopefully over time, you know, people look back on us and say, you know, hey, these guys were pretty right. But you know what? They missed right. X, Y and Z. <laughs> Great. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I, everybody I've ever like worked with in terms of like an intern or a fellow uh, string coach, I've always told them, like, if I do my job right, you're at, at a minimum going to be as good as me. At a, at a maximum, you should be right. better than me. And no, nothing will make me happier than to have 20 guys and, 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 and girls open up gyms that are awesome. And, and I'm like, I look back when I'm like 60 and I'm like, man, like I had an influence on all these people and now they have amazing facilities that are doing amazing work. Like that would, that's the ultimate um, for me. Who do you look for to obtain further knowledge? It's tough. Um, it's really tough. And see, this is somewhere where um, I probably struggle with the most. Because, like, Louis talks about how he's constantly, you know, learning. And he is. He's not lying about that. He's always Does he really read, reread the and, books over and over? <laughs> oh, he does. <laughs> absolutely does. Oh, yeah. I mean, what, after spending three days with him, his life doesn't change on a day-to-day basis. He doesn't, he doesn't recognize Saturday, Sunday, Tuesday. It doesn't matter to him. It's is it max lower day? Right. Is it max upper day? Right. I'm serious. That's his schedule. And he doesn't care about anything else. Like I would say even to a you know, again, this is just an opinion. Right. I couldn't live my life like that. You know. Um, but he does right. and it works for him, so go for it. But I'm just saying, like, he does not care literally about anything other than what right. day it is for a workout. So for him, his schedule is so regimented that he has his time that he reads. He meditates in the shower for an hour every what? Day. He told me that. He said, I literally stand in the shower for an, for an hour every day. And what time does he get up? Because they go to breakfast at like 5 o'clock. I don't know. Oh, yeah, but he says I don't he doesn't know. want to I mean, sleep more than like two hours because of his neck, right? No. How pissed off yeah, is he about neck, not yeah. being in a like lift series? Like, does it, it, it irks him? I think, I think it irks him most from what I saw when he sees somebody doing uh, something wrong. And he would love to get underneath that bar at the same weight, not warmed up, and, and just, just do it right. Do it. Right, and just do it right, you know. Because when I would watch him, like we would watch him train the morning crew, like the very the morning crew, we we wouldn't train with. Okay, we would watch them train because a, it's, I think it's super right. disrespectful. Um, but b, like that's when Louis right. actually coaching. That's when you actually get right. to see him coach, and. As soon as the morning crew is done, he's right back to happy, doo-doo, you know, talking, cheering. But when they're training, he is locked in and he is fired up. So, um, you know, I think for Louis, it probably, honestly, I think it only really irks him when he sees somebody doing something wrong and he wants to be the guy to get underneath the bar and show him the right way. I want it this speed or I want it done like this. And he can't. That would be my opinion. Again, I I, I met him for three days. I don't know him super well, but just in my 
my observations to me because I think you get to a certain age where you don't, you know, you don't need to be the strongest person in the world because you understand. You've done, but he's also done it. Right. And not as it, not, not sure. does everybody yeah. know he's done it, but also he knows, like he always talks about, you can't teach somebody to strain if you haven't strained. I think he's strained plenty. So he, he, yeah. right, right. But he knows, like, he's not going to beat Dan Yeah, right. He knows right. that, right? He's not, he's not going to beat Dan Bell. Like, he knows that. So I think when, once that's removed from you, even that hope of being that, I think it, it takes away some of your desire to, like, you know, I'm going to squat right. till I die kind of thing. Um, I think Louis's vision now is more how can I teach as much as possible right. before I go? You know, how can I how can I influence others as much as possible before I go? Because I think for a long time in his career it was how can I, you know, build the right. best gym, have the strongest right. people, and that included him. And then now it's I think it shifted to how can I pass on all this so that the training world doesn't go to And he's serious, there's no way no one's going <laughs> to take over the gym room. He's going to close it down. I don't know. I mean, I mean, clearly we didn't even right, you know, right, approach right. that subject, but I mean, I, I would put it this way. I, I haven't seen Louis live on anything from, <laughs> true, you know, true. reading books, like reading books, watching videos, and then go and meeting him in person. Everything I've ever heard him say is 100% true. He wears the same shirts he's worn for 20 years. I mean, he, he shows up to Bob, like Bob Evans at yeah. the place they eat breakfast. Everybody is there 10 minutes before it opens. <laughs> When you sit down for breakfast, there's a table with the, the morning crew. The plates are laid out. The drinks are laid out. Orange juice, like they know because they're there every day. They literally, it's it's not even like, hey, what do we order? The food is coming oh, out wow. as they're sitting down because it's the same thing. Like that's he's not lying when he says that's what I do every day. <laughs> literally, what he does every single day without fail and it never changes. So, um, you know. I don't see him as a person that would, would make a statement like that and not be serious about it. Now, who knows? You get to the very end of your life, like the last little bit, and, and maybe yeah, maybe Tom's part, like, but, give me the tip. Um, give me the tip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, but I, I could see him just shutting it down. I really could. It wouldn't surprise. It wouldn't put it this way. It wouldn't surprise me. I wouldn't be like, ah, I didn't think he would do that. Like, yeah, yeah. What do you uh, What do you think it takes to become a great strength coach? Um. I think it becomes, I think it, I think it, it takes, it, I think it takes a really like middle of the road personality. I don't think you can be um, super uh, dogmatic as we talked about earlier. I think you have to keep an open mind, but you also can't be somebody that is constantly buys into the hype. Right. Like this new device right. came out of this and this is the way forward and this is what I need to do. Um, and also because you have to you have to balance evolving with what you also right. know to be true. All right. Good. I'm on, I'm on the correct path. It's a, good. It's a, That's me. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a it's a it's a it's a weird road to walk, but it's an important one. And I think that makes the best string coaches because you, you're you're thinking about things both in terms of in the future and in the past. Um, because I don't think the best string coaches are the best educated. I think usually they're the worst. And yeah. I'm just being honest. I think they're the worst. Um, you know, I've said this many times. I dropped out of my master's program to take oh, the wow. job because orig- at EFT because originally – and I had done two years. All I had to do was finish my uh, my thesis. I had done all wow. my coursework. And people are like, well, why didn't you finish it? I said, well, because I went to school to get a job. And 
I got offered a job where I could go train NBA and NFL and MLB players right away. And my thought was, if it didn't work out, I'll go back and finish my degree. But I went to school to get this job and I got the job and I was going to put everything I had into that job. Because here's the thing. If I finished writing my thesis and, and running all, I probably had 90,000 blood samples to run in triplicate. Does that make me right. a better strength coach? Or, or does getting in there and training a Luol Deng and a Matt Forte and an Asia Evans and, you know, an Alshon Jeffrey and all these other people that I got to work with, does that make right. me a better strength coach? I think there's a good base of knowledge that you need to have. And as soon as you understand that, you need to go try and do it. And ideally, you're doing it in the system and under somebody who's educating you on why you're doing it. Because I think that's the best. Like Elias really helped, I think, kind of push me towards, clearly push me towards conjugate, but not just conjugate. Like I was saying, with that dynamic day that he did, it's a variation of Louis conjugate, right? And that showed me right there. You don't have to be dogmatic to the system. It's the principles that are right. It's up to you to apply those principles in the correct system. So um, I think all those things are really, really important. And you're doing the right things. I mean, you know, clearly you're having a podcast where you ask people what they think about all these things. I don't know how you could be more right, open yeah. than that. Uh, I'm, uh, you know? cause it's always like, uh, I'm always like, I just want to be open to the discussion of not being so dedicated. And I also want to see people from like, like eventually the goal would be like, yes, I want to interview somebody from Westside. But then I want to interview, you know, like right. the guy I was talking about explosive mechanics and like the strength gym I go to, cause I don't, I don't work at a strength gym. I work at like a basketball facility that they're building as a strength section just for me. But I'm learning under a guy that mm-hmm. just like you has been to West side, does conjugate, but does his own, uh, uh, version, uh, version of it. Yeah. Like when he does box squatting, he doesn't like to release the hips because he's like, well, if I release the hip, the kid is going to be completely relaxed and then he's not going to be the fire back off the box. I'd rather him just stay tight the entire time, you know? So it's like, but it's like, Louis right. be like, no, you got to release the hips and then you got to go, you know? So it's like right. learning from all these different people. It's like, okay, I can see that even Louis can be that, you know, just like any of the other system, at least his system is the one that you should be using, but even he can be a little bit closed minded and be like, no, just one way you know, my way or the highway, but it's like all these guys are getting the same or the same type of results as he's getting. And they're all doing it a different way, maybe because what they have in their gym or the type of athletes they're working with, you know, and I think that's very important. So this, and I think for me, it's like, I, and one of the biggest things I learned from Louis is not keeping all the knowledge yourself. That's another reason why I did the podcast is because you're getting people that are of like mind, but still a little bit different and giving you a different, different life experience, different type of athlete, different gym, different city, you know, and that, I think that's important, you know, cause we all want the same thing yeah. and we all, you know, believe in getting our athletes strong and we just may do it a little bit different, but a lot of our same, a lot of it is still the same, you know? Right. Right. No, for sure. Yeah. No, I agree with you. And, and I, I don't think I ever really answered the learning question. Like for me at this point, it's hard for me to like sit down and read something from somebody that <clears throat> I don't feel like has the same level right. of experience as me. Um, and so it's, I don't see a lot of articles because here's the other thing, the more you do this and the higher level you do it at, the more you realize that there's not very few people who have some sort of like um, monopoly on knowledge. Like they're, they're figuring it right. out just like you are. 
and they're they don't have this like secret cache of knowledge that they're just not sharing with people like you start to learn like man like i can do this i'm i'm good at it i understand it i might even understand it better right. than most people and so <clears throat> it doesn't mean that you stop learning but i don't look to a lot of like current strength coaches um to like learn from what i do is is more of what louis does like i'll reread <laughs> i'm reading that right now um you know <laughs> yeah um I mean, that could be a, that could be a graduate, uh, a master's degree in of itself. Right. right. You know, like I, I, I reread some of my college stuff, to be honest, like mm-hmm. biomechanics, like masters, you know, like my graduate biomechanics and stuff like that. Um, but I, I think you come to a point where, um, again, it's not that you stop learning or you become closed minded. That's not at all. I, 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 what I'd probably use Instagram for the most in terms of learning is seeing exercises mm-hmm. and movements like stuff that maybe I haven't thought of or I haven't applied it in this way. Um, but the concepts, I think you really drill home by studying the principles in which you're built on, which is the science, yeah. but then doing it. I think, I think doing it trumps anything on the entire planet in terms of just getting out there and actually making it happen and doing it to yourself. I mean, I see your videos all the time. Like you train yourself, which is nice. so important. Like you put yourself through this stuff because you have to understand how it feels so that you can ask an athlete to do it in a safe uh, and effective manner. What do you believe are a few things that should be in every athlete's program? Um, I think uh, a dynamic warm-up. I've done it for 10 years with every athlete I have. Um, and that's five to 10 minutes. It's nothing crazy. But I think just a movement-based dynamic warm-up is, is really important. Um, I oh, think wait, wait, every wait. program Click on that, um, if you're doing lower yeah. or upper body, like strictly like if it's a max effort lower and a max effort upper, would mm-hmm. you, let's say on the max effort upper, would you still do like leg swings or hurdles and stuff like that, even on the upper, because you're trying to achieve more dynamic flexibility or would you, if you're like short on time, you're like, all right, I'm just going to do arm swings and stuff like that for the upper body day. Cause I always wonder that, like, do you do the full every single day or is it, you know, more focused depending on what you're doing that day? My preference is to do the full everybody every day. That's okay. my preference. Now, again, like you said, there, there's times where this is just life. Like an athlete comes in like, oh, I got to be right. out of here in 45 minutes. Okay, well, clearly I'm going to detract some things that aren't as tangible for uh, affecting the day's workout. Like if it's upper body day, we probably won't go through all the lower right. body warm-up stuff, even though <clears throat> in an ideal world okay. we would. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, so you, so you dynamic upper – I mean uh, dynamic warm-up. I believe in uh, prehab, but I believe it in, in a circuit targeted fashion. So like for my athletes, it would be three or four things specific to the workout they're going to do or an injury or an issue that they have. And usually core is mixed into that. I always do core first. I never hmm. do it at the end. I think it's the worst thing in the world to do it at the end of a workout um, because nobody wants to do. Core I hate doing that. <laughs> if, you, if you train, if you train linemen, they for sure don't want to do it at the end of a workout. Um, they don't want to do it right. ever. You got to do it at the beginning when you're fresh. And because even on max thing, effort, I've never you, seen some. Okay. Oh, for sure. Because I've never, I've never seen core work done to a level that affects your ability to lift. Like I don't that's, know if anybody okay, has that's, ever done yeah, a max, like like a max effort, like a max effort decline sit up where you know you hold like 200 pounds on your chest and <laughs> like it just, I just never seen that happen. Like to me, to me, core work by definition is it's prehab work because you're turn you're you know i don't like to use the word turning on but like 
you're you're kind of like waking up i don't like that <laughs> word either but whatever you're waking up the the muscles that are engaging your core through stimulating them through activity and if i can stimulate my obliques and my spinal erectors and my rectus abdominis and my transverse abdominis and all this other stuff through some some very quick you know basic kind of prehab you know core work kind of mixed in together then my lift is going to be better. Now, what would you do? Would you have them do like sets of planks, leg raises, stuff like that? Like, okay. Yeah. I mean, like, I'll put it this way. Like, let's say you were going to do like an upper body day, right? Um, I don't know if you've ever done like side plank rotation. The one where you kind of put the Um, arm underneath and go back? Okay, right, right. Yep. Yep, exactly. (laughs) Like, to me, that's a great example of a core and a prehab that's specific for an upper body day, right? You're doing both. You're working on rotational shoulder capacity. You're working on rotational core capacity. You're working on, you know, how does that, how does that, um, you know, your humerus slide through the scapular joint? Like, there's so many things that you're getting from that one movement, and you're war- you're physically warming up the muscles that right. you're about to use. So, like, that's a good example of something I would put into a, a prehab, you know, before a lift. You know, for a lower body day, I have a lot of athletes do um, like dead bug work. Um, you know, banded dead bug work, stomach vacuums, um, because anything that's going to get you waking up again, I don't like the word, but like just in touch with, um, you know, turning, using those muscles that you're about to use in the lift, because I've, I've learned this as I've gotten stronger as a power lifter. When I go to do core work now, it's easier than it's ever been. You know, if I, I squatted like a month ago, like 680 in rap and, that's the strongest I've ever been in a squat. Even if I hadn't been doing like V ups and stuff, I can go crank out a set of 20, no right. problem. So like for, for sure getting stronger in the big lifts, get your core stronger. Absolutely. It does. So on the flip side, then if I can get my core stronger, I think it'll make my bigger lift stronger. And again, I'm not talking about doing core work to the level in which you can't even like right. hold yourself up. I'm saying just doing enough that you're 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 getting specific work through ranges of motion that you probably wouldn't do in your bigger workout, um, to prepare you for. Then bigger would workout. you do more core at the end, or would you just so just nope. just in the beginning, but not yep. too taxing? So like you want to do two two minute planks, you may do like thirty forty five seconds, something like that. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because again, you know, I think you're going to get more core work, like in terms of like actual strength and functionality out of the squatting. Yeah. 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 And not only that, but like tire flip or um, med ball lateral slam into the wall. Like that's core to me, that's core work. You're actually using your core to stabilize your body. That's how you're going to always use your core really. So exactly yeah you're not isolating it you know in a, in a basketball game and like right. doing a crunch you're you're it's a movement base that's what your core is designed to do it's designed to to stabilize you you know kind of like that quasi isometric thing right where it's staying stable while everything around you is moving and um so i like to do like that kind of core work in my workouts but the actual like like i said like a dead bug or a vacuum or a side plank like do that at the beginning that's prehab to me that's warming your athlete up. So again, if I'm building a workout, five to ten minute dynamic warm up, uh, five to ten minute prehab core circuit, and I and I give that range because it depends on the athlete and how fast they move or how many athletes you know. If you have four athletes versus one, et cetera. Um, now then it gets tricky. 
<clears throat> this is where I, I start to move things around depending on the time of year. If it's like NFL off season, we'll do speed or agility work right then and there. If it's if it's um, like in season, we probably are going to do strength work right then. And again, we talked about this earlier with Lou. I don't need to do speed agility work. They're doing it in practice right. and in games. Um, so, and then even with my powerlifting people that I work with, if they're not coming up on a meet, I do. I don't know what else to call it, but we do reverse workouts where we start with accessory movements first particularly single joint stuff usually like hamstring curls you know um nordic curls uh poor man leg extension stuff like that and then we build into and finish with the main movement last um even on max effort days because if you always put your main movement first you're always giving your accessory movements kind of like the leftovers right right so if you don't have the meat coming up why not flip that around? Why does it matter if your squat suffers by 10 pounds? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, why does it matter? Because you, you trash your legs before you got there. Um, I don't, I think it gives you a chance to ultimately be strong. Because then you fix those single joint and whatever those lag muscles to an extent because yeah. you actually give them the energy you never do. If you're doing three meets a year, yep. that may be 12, 20 weeks that you didn't really focus on them. So now you flip it. So then you can do that. Okay. I, I get that. Yeah. And even the same thing with with my NFL guys, when they would come out of the season, I wouldn't say, all right, guys, we're going to warm up and box mm-hmm. squat heavy. Like, that's a terrible idea. I would say we're going to warm up, do our prehab. Then we're going to do our banded ha- – we're going to do, you know, four sets of 50 of banded mm-hmm. hamstring curls. And then we're going to do reverse sled drag. And then we're going to do a lateral lunge supersetted with, you know, some sort of like maybe a mm-hmm. reverse hyper. And then we're going to box squat. Because by nature of doing all that stuff first – we're warming up the tissue and we're training the tissue. Like you said, that's kind of been neglected throughout the season. Um, and if I don't want them squatting their best squat right out of the season right. anyway, because their elbows and their shoulders and their wrists and their knees, they need to heal from getting beat up for 16 right. weeks in a row. So I would rather them squat a lighter weight at the end, but you tell me uh, any athlete that says, Hey, could you go in there and not do your best? <laughs> like <laughs> it's just, it's just a really, poor line of reasoning but if you if you pre-fatigue all the muscles around it you're going to have to put a lot right. of weight on the bar you're going to have to because they don't yeah. feel like doing more so i just think there's a lot of levels to why that's a good technique to use sometimes again not all the time like but um things for athletes to avoid in training um I, i've never done depth jumps i've never done it i don't see the point you like doing the box jump, um right? i think there's Right. I love box jumps because you land, you know, you basically land right. without an eccentric. Um, and I'm not against to like loading eccentrically, especially in the right times of the year. But um, I don't like to do add add to that. I think that's kind of kind of silly, uh, especially if you have an most of your pro athletes have at least a 30 something right. vertical. That's a pretty good eccentric fall right. already. So if I have somebody even doing like just broad jumps or something like that's a that's a nice eccentric load. I don't need to add to that. Um, again, I'm not saying it doesn't work. I'm saying the I, risk I mean, I think Louie and you look at super training or, or in, uh, scientists portrait, they talk about like, yes, the depth jumps work, but you can still get a lot out of the other ones. And I just think to yeah. really, once the athlete becomes really advanced and they can jump really high, then it's like, okay, but then the depth jumps needs to be high, but then most athletes won't be to handle coming down every time. So it's like, 
right. the risk right. reward, like you said, you might as well let's just do box jumps, broad jumps, then do it like that. Doesn't make mean they're easy. <laughs> Foam jumps. Yeah, we do. I used to do a ton of power max. I don't know if you've ever seen a power max pad, but just this big foam, like three foot tall by like five foot wide um, square foam pad, basically with this like kind of hard vinyl mm. covering. And we used to do jumps on that, jumps off of that, sprints in that. I've never I mean, seen that. Oh, I never, terrible. I never, it, does it look kind of like the, yeah, dude, you have to look the, it up. What is that thing called? The, but Sandy it's like a hard, stepper? no, it's much bigger. bigger with a hard, it's top. much bigger. Now, why is it the soft on the, Oh. It's not hard. It's not. No, no, it's not hard. It's, it's just the covering of it. Like, it's not like a foam pad. It's covered in vinyl. So you're not like stepping on to like direct like a sponge, basically. Imagine a sponge just like wrapped mm -hmm. in vinyl. That's the best way to mm -hmm. put it. Uh, you have to look it up. I, I've never that. seen that in a gym. Um, like the only yeah. pads I know is the, the sand dune and the. Uh, the Which uh, is a great tool. Yeah, the sand dune. The what you call great. it. What is the, uh, the mat that you can actually use to test your vertical on? Uh, I'm trying. I'm blanking oh, out yeah, yeah. on the name. Uh, the the just just jump system or whatever. Oh, you know, it's just that little mat, real skinny, and then you just have the little the little recorder, and then you could just you jump on it, and just measure yeah. your vertical. I think it's I think it's called just jump. I really do. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, it doesn't matter. But I'm saying like, there's just too to me. There's too many ways to get at it that are lowering yeah. the risk and increasing the benefit. Um, so, like, I don't do depth jumps with athletes. I never have athletes run, um, you know, longer than, I don't know, maybe an 800 right. equivalent. Um, unless, I mean, clearly, if they're an endurance. I trained an All-American 10K runner in college. Like, clearly, he ran right. further than that. But I'm saying for your major sports that most people are talking about, baseball, basketball, football, lacrosse, right. hockey, um, you know, I've never, I've never seen long distance running be beneficial. Yeah, I think the sports. longest I ever run is like um, maybe six hundred meters, maybe like, and that's like once or twice right, yeah, a year. Something like that. Hey, unless, unless when yeah, I'm in practice, just, and then you know, then I'm gonna do some, some well, crap again, there. <laughs> if you're following the training of specificity, right, which you specifically adapt to the stress you mm -hmm. add to the body, unless your sport requires long distance running, not only is it maybe not. Um, a smart use of your time, it possibly yeah. detrimental, right, to your performance. So, I, again, like basketball is the best example. I think Luol used to run on average like two miles a game, right. right? So you would have some coaches say, oh, well, we need to go run three miles in the off season, so he's ready for them <laughs> two miles. Well, guess what? Those aren't two miles of running on a track around in a circle jogging. That's two miles of sprinting, stopping, sliding, backpedaling, walking, jogging, so I need to, again, my workout should reflect the specificity of the metabolic task that he's being right. asked to do. He's not being asked to, to, to hold a steady state heart rate for yeah. 18 minutes. He's, he's being asked to quickly accelerate, quickly decelerate. His heart rate's going to go up, down, right? You know what I mean? Like, it's just so, it's such a different style of training. So um, I've never had athletes, like, do long-distance stuff. Oh, here's a good one. I've never had an athlete uh, Olympic lift. Ah, there we go. Now, I have my reasons why... I wouldn't do it, but I want to hear why you don't do it. Yeah. Um, I believe that it's an outdated form of training mm -hmm. for sports. Um, I think it became popular because it was easy to research and it was an Olympic sport. So you got to remember 30, 40, 50 years ago, we didn't have the internet. 
if you wanted to understand how somebody in Russia is training, for instance, well, look at the Olympics. They're doing cleans, right. you know, they're doing clean and jerks. They're doing snatches. So if I'm an American professor and I'm like reading this research about Russian weightlifting, then I'm like, oh, well, clearly the snatch or the clean and jerk, that's what's making these athletes so powerful. So right. we need to do that. And I think that that's been just passed down out of mm. necessity. Some places make you do it. Like if you're not doing it, you get fired. Right, right, right. Like, because out of necessity, research has to be consistent. What's more consistent than a snatch? It's a bar, this barbell weighs the same everywhere right. in the world, right? So I think because research used to drive so much of training, and again, Olympic lifting has been around forever, I think it was what used to be the most popular way. But what I always challenge coaches to say is, what, what are the benefits of Olympic lifting? What are we really working on, right? And then I would also say, if you think that you have to do Olympic lifting, you clearly haven't trained enough athletes. Because I've trained, again, you know, eight NFL pro bowlers, and I guarantee you, there hasn't been one season where all of them could do an Olympic lift, not because they didn't want to, because they physically right. can't. They've torn a bicep off. They've torn a tricep off. Uh, they had their shoulder repaired in the summer. They broke a collarbone. There's a million reasons I can give you why somebody can't right. do an Olympic lift. I can't give you one good reason why they should compared to, again, I'm not saying you don't work power, but compared to what about a med right. ball slam? I'm, I'm taking the weight. If you're going to talk about a clean, I'm taking the weight from the floor to, mm -hmm. to my chest, overhead, and then I actually get a extra benefit of being able to slam it to the turf, which you can't do right. with a barbell because it's going to come up and you're going to hit yourself right. in the face. So, um, you know, and again, there's a million different variations of, of Olympic lifting that you can do without a bar. Actually, there's an adult that I helped a few weeks ago. <clears throat> he messaged me, and he actually, this guy builds ponds. <laughs> for celebrities he actually he just built a pond for Shaq <laughs> in atlanta by the way like this guy is like the, the pond master master. of the entire planet <laughs> i'm not kidding it's crazy um but he i know him and he messaged me and said hey i've done cleans since high school football i love cleans cleans are the best but my elbows hurt like crazy he's like 50 right. now <laughs> and i said all right um you know talk talk me through a little bit about it and he said yeah you know when i start doing cleans every year you know, it starts hurting, so I stopped doing them, and then it feels better. And I said, okay, so it's very specific to the motion. I said, I'll tell you what, let's just try this. Have you ever done a dumbbell clean? Mm -hmm. He goes, what's that? I said, literally, literally <laughs> the same thing, but holding, a dump, but holding dumbbells. He said, I've never tried that. I said, well, try it. He goes in the gym, does uh, four sets of 10 with 50-pound dumbbells for cleans. That's not an easy right, right, workout. Right. He, he, he messages me, my elbows feel fine. I don't feel anything. Why is that? I said, because you changed the right. motion. And you can't, because <laughs> you, you, so like, we do all the, the squat, we do squats and or benching. We can change a million different bars, but with Olympic movements, you can't use a football bar. So it's like you're always doing that same repetitive right. exercise. And not that it's bad, but right. you're never changing it. So you're never giving your body a break. And then, you know, that over 90% for one to three weeks, no good. That's why we right. change the bar. But Olympic lifting, you can't change the bar. Right. And that's what, and that's what I told him. Like, I said, "Hey, are you competing in Olympic lifting, snatching competition, right, right. or jerk cleaning jerk? Right. You're not. So why does it matter? If you like, he likes the feel of a clean. He feels like his shoulders and his traps get pumped. He gets conditioning out of it. I get that. Awesome, man. Go for it. But why not do it with a dumbbell where your arms don't hurt? And he's like, "Wow, I never, I never thought about it that way." <laughs> I'm like, "Well, 
There you go. You could do it with the med ball too. Would you? Would you? Do it with a you, bag too. You could do it with a band. There's would a you ever have you do it. Uh, your athletes do like uh, like push press and stuff like that? Like you know, because then it's not a full. Sure. Not so you just like would you just stay away from the full clean jerk and the full snatch? But you could do like I would set, never, you know, the very like the just the top part push push press push jerk, you know, where right. that's all they do. Yeah, yeah. You know? And again, I'm not saying that like you don't do a cleaning activity. Like if you've ever done a heavy tire right. flip, that's essentially yeah. a clean and safer, right? Because you flip safer. the tire and right. and you catch it, right. and it's safer. And it's actually the research is starting to show this now because it's not done in a vertical only plane; it's done in a lateral plane as well. It's actually more. Uh, it helps your lateral and your speed. More than a clean does. They've done side-by-side research. It actually helps you more. So, again, I'm not against Olympic lifting like you should never do it because it just sucks. I'm against it for athletes who don't do it in their sport, and there's a million other ways that I can do it that's safer. And I don't have to teach, uh, you know, eight weeks of a cleaning course before I can work with a guy. I I can just say, hey, pick up this tire. (laughs) Okay, great. Let's pick up the tire. I always feel like, too, it's like (laughs) after – so, like, one of my buddies, he – He's from overseas, uh, one of the countries that's like one of the most famous ones for Olympic lifting. And he studied that for like 10, 15 years. And he's also a physical therapist. So he would always tell me, yeah. he's like, so a lot of these coaches, especially in America, like the CrossFit people take like a three week course and then they could teach Olympic lifting. And it's like, it's a ballet of lifting, you know? So it's like, as a coach, right. I don't think I would ever study enough anywhere close to be, in my opinion, uh, uh, rightly at that level to be coaching that to people. And I think 99% of athletes are not going to have the mobility training or conditioning, you know, to be able to do Olympic lifts. So it's basically just a waste of our time. By the time they get okay at doing a cleaner snatch, if you're doing, you know, like FRC and all this other work to get their mobility there to get into that position, they could have, you know, gained a 50 right. pound on their squat, which is going to make them more powerful. Maybe it's just because it doesn't right. look as cool. Because the, Maybe that's what it is. No, it's just it's just that it's what we talked about earlier. It's it's the dogmatism and it's the the ath, it's the coaches not putting the athlete yeah. first, but putting what they what they right. want to do first. And you have some coaches that I've had this argument with people where they say, "Oh, well, if they don't have the mobility to do a snatch, then they should." They're not healthy. <laughs> I'm like, Yo. I'm like, look, principle principle of specificity again the snatch is a specific motion just because they don't have mobility there doesn't mean that they're immobile in running or jumping or squatting or anything else. And it doesn't mean that they're somehow now at a higher risk for an injury that someone else didn't have. Because that's, and again, you can have your opinion that that, that that may be true, but there is no factual basis in that of any way, shape or form. So you can, you can have your opinion. That's fine, but you can't tell me it's what I should or shouldn't be doing. Now, on the flip side, I can tell you, you don't have to do Olympic lifting to have right. great athletes because I have I have hundreds of athletes that play Division One or pro or whatever that never, ever, ever did one single Olympic lift over 10 years with me. And they had not just great careers, awesome careers. So I can show you all the proof I want on my end. I can't I can't know of one person that can show me why I have to do Olympic lifting. Again, you can have your opinion on why you should, but not why right. you have to. How do you exist. work with athletes coming off major injuries like the ACL, MCL, Achilles, shoulder, hip, etc.? Um, I've learned that I have to do most of the work. <laughs> um, it's very rare that I get someone who's quote unquote cleared and they are cleared to actually train mm-hmm. again. 
Um, 99% of the time when they are cleared, the physical therapist has restored their range of motion. Uh, they can stand on one leg again. Uh, they can do a half decent reverse lunge and, oh, you're good to go. Your knee is functional. And it's like, mm, no, it's not. So I've had to learn how to do basically advanced rehab really quickly um, and basically take two or three months to finish the rehab process to get someone cleared, in my opinion, for like real right. sport. Uh, you know, like, like Lou Aldang tore his pec off the bone four years ago, maybe. And it was right before the summer started. And the doctor said, look, you have so much scar tissue in there. You probably tore it 90% years ago. And you just, you just never, you know, you just kept playing or whatever. And it's just been like, he's like, imagine like a rope and, you know, in a cartoon when they like snip a part of it and like slowly (laughs) unravels. He said that he said the amount of scar tissue you have, that's probably what happened. So, but he's like, I don't want to ruin my whole summer schedule. So they did a complete reattachment, right? And the tendon, this isn't a muscle tear, this was a tendon rupture, complete reattachment. And we did two weeks of physical therapy. Two weeks. And I took I went to every session. I learned, I wrote down everything the guy did. And Lou said, Okay, Jacob, we're gonna travel. I want to do everything I want to do in the summer, but I want to be ready to play. Do you think you can do it? I said, yes, I think I can do it. So the rest of the summer, I just slowly started expanding on the plan that his physical therapist laid out. And he was cleared within three months by his private doctor and by the Lakers doctor, both, to return to play. And most people would say that it's a minimum six to nine month injury. For some people, it's a 12 month injury. And I'm not a physical therapist. But what I did was use the knowledge that I have to expand upon what the physical therapist is asking him to do. And we just got him there a lot faster and a lot further. And again, there's nothing wrong with physical therapists. I'm, I'm just saying that your, their scope of practice is to return the joint right. function, but that's not right. athletic function. That's just, I can walk around my house and sit down on the couch function. Yeah. There's a very, yeah. very big difference between that. Cause you're not really applying force sport. when you, I mean, you are, but not to nearly, you know, the thousand pounds of pressure per accident. step. That's right. not happening when you walk. So that's a different requirement. No. Yeah. Yeah, I think there should be a whole field of, of study for like advanced physical therapy for sports specifically. Um, I don't know how, who would make that curriculum or how it would happen, but it really should be a difference between what I would call like basic physical therapy. Like here's a, here's another thing, right? At, at least in Chicago, there's these physical therapy offices, and the same physical therapist will treat. The 80-year-old woman who had a hip replacement will treat the 16-year-old right. kid who tore his ACL. How does that? Yeah. How does that make sense? How are those even remotely the same thing? But you see the same. You see all different kinds of people <laughs> going into the same office to right. see the same person, and it's like, you know, whereas like for what you and I do, it's the opposite. If we're working with athletes, clearly we can work with an adult. Right. You know what I mean? Like it, it's yeah. the other way around. You know. Well, they're basically doing the most basic stuff and they're never exposing themselves to the more advanced stuff. Um, so I would love to see a course of study, you know, something come out where more advanced. And again, there's physical therapists who do it. I'm not saying that yeah, like my buddy that is, do it. There he are was a strength coach first, then became a physical therapist. He's yeah. the only guy I've ever gone to for physical therapy because I've seen how most of them are. Right. And especially in the clinical setting where they're just pumping out clients. It's like, you know, here's yep. some band stuff and keep it moving. And I'm just like, that's a joke. You paying all this money right. for that. I'm like, <laughs> rather right, just exactly. go to a strength coach and like just hope for the best. 
Yeah. So, I mean, there are physical therapists who do it right, but they're just very few yeah. and far between because you don't get educated right. on that in school. That's not what physical therapy school teaches you. So, you know, they've like you said, like your friend, they've had to learn yeah. that on their own and bring that experience over and apply it. And it's just a rare combination. You don't see it very often. Uh, what separates your online strength program service from others? Oh, nice, man. Way, way to <laughs> let me plug it. So, so this year, uh, my friend Tom Callis, who's a five-time world record squat holder in wraps, um, I think his best squat is like 816, mm. weighing 192. Uh, crazy strong. <laughs> He's getting <laughs> up there. Strong. That's uh... um, Well, I don't know because I know, you know, Dan <laughs> Green and uh, and uh, what's his name? I can't remember the uh... – the other the the black kid that's in the two twenty, you know, they're in the the boss thing. Yeah, uh, yeah, oh, strong. But uh, right, right. I don't. I think they do completely raw because I think raps. Does does it not count as completely raw, or do, do they now allow raps in raw? I think, I think it's, raps it's are all allowed. separate. So there's record but for all of it. I think they all squat yeah. like eight something. Like so guys... is he like trying to achieve like you know one of the world records? Is that like his goal? Well, oh, he's, he's got, got five. Oh, okay. What yeah, else do yeah, you want yeah, him to yeah, do? Yeah, yeah. You just said. <laughs> because he weighs. He was 198. He weighs under 198. That's right. That's the class so, underneath so, them. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. You're right. 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 So yeah. he's lighter than those guys. Now, don't get me wrong. He wants to start uh, 900. And stay 198. Um, but he would like to if he can. He's going to try. <laughs> um, but anyway, he, he, him and I were talking, and he was like, I get messaged all the time about training people, but. I don't feel like I have a system to support right. me in doing that. Like, yes, I'm very good at powerlifting, but I don't have a, a structure. I don't have a spreadsheet. I don't have whatever. And I said, dude, I get hit up all the time about training too, but I travel so much I can't do it. And I don't believe, this is just my personal belief, in sending somebody a spreadsheet. I think it's a very basic way to train people, and it's not what I'm about personally. I want more detail and control than that. And so then COVID happened and we said, you know what? People are not going to be able to go into gyms for a while, most likely. Why don't we just, this, don't that's we just what I've been doing with so, this. Um, <laughs> so I was like, you know, let me do it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I found this platform called true coach. Right. I've, and it's yeah. an app that lets you basically, uh, you know, white label your training, right? You can put your own logo, you know, your own videos you can upload. And I said, man, this platform solves all of my issues with online training, right? I don't like spreadsheets. I'm not li- I don't like people not being able to see my, my video. I don't like people not being able to send me video back. Um, I don't like trying to have everybody's cell phone number. And, you know, some people are emailing me and some people are messaging me and some people have Android. Yeah. It's just like, oh, like it's just such a mess. Whereas True Coach, everything's on the same platform. I upload my videos and Tom's of us doing it so that I know exactly, like, you know, you could ask five different people how to do a TKE, and you're going to get five different answers. I, I know the way I want it done, so that's the video I'm going to upload. And, like, Tom squatting. Like, I want somebody to watch Tom squat. I don't want to watch me squat. I want to watch Tom squat or right. some random person. Um, so the ability to upload our own videos, the ability for the clients to upload their videos back to us, um, the ability to write detail into the programming, the ability for it to be app-based. So it doesn't matter where you are in the world. You can get on your phone and see your workout for the day and access all that stuff instantly, all within the same. It's all self-contained. You don't have to go to YouTube and go here and go there. It's all right there for them. And if I make a change on my end of the app, the client sees it instantly on their end. So all those things were removing barriers that I had about online training. 
And for Tom, our partnership was born out of, you know, he has all this knowledge with elite strength. I have all this knowledge with sports performance. Oh, there you go. Adults as well. You combined the two. Um, let's, mm-hmm. let's put it together. So um, <laughs> we started Smart Strength, uh, Smart Strength Official, if anybody wants to look it up on Instagram. And it's also linked in my, my Instagram. But um, we started it out of that, hey, we want to address this need about crappy online training, but we want to do it the right way. Uh, so, you know, and also we don't do 12 week programs, right? You, <laughs> we, we don't program a week, right? A yeah. Week yeah. For anybody. Yeah. More than a week for anybody. Maybe occasionally we'll get to like 10 days. If I see somebody do a, like a Monday dynamic upper, let's say, and I see it on a Monday afternoon and I'm working, I might go ahead and write the next Mondays, um, uh, because I saw what happened. On right. Monday. Right. But it's we all about always, seeing how we, they are. We watch yeah, we see the workouts, we see the video, and then we write the next week's stuff. Um, and then we've already, I, I film at least 30 to 40 videos a week wow. and upload them to the app. And we have accessories after accessories. And again, we're not in, we're not in gyms. We're not in lifetimes in 24 hours. We're in our garages. So this is stuff that you can do with bands, dumbbells, and basic, you know, very basic equipment. And we probably already have 400 videos up mm. at least. Um, because this is stuff I had to learn traveling, right? Like I don't always have access to a great gym. So how do I get all these exercises done and movements done? Um, so it's cool. It's, it's actually a way for me to like use all this knowledge that I have to a wider swath of people that I couldn't work with before. Um, and I like working with, you know, quote unquote, normal people. I, I really enjoy it because for me, if you just want to get better, that's the most important thing to me. Um, and so it's given us a platform to do that. And traditionally, like Tom takes more of our powerlifters. I think more of our um, kind of like general fitness, strength, uh, weight loss, you know, maybe more mm-hmm. of the specialty stuff. Uh, but I have some powerlifters too on my side. It, it doesn't really matter. We're partners in it. So we just kind of push the client towards whichever person uh, is going to do the best job for them. You know, again, it's about the client. It's not about what I want to do or Tom wants to do. It's about the client. Um, so I'm really proud of it. Um, Clearly, it's still new. You know, we're still evolving and learning, but I'm very proud of what we set up and what we're doing. I think it's we ha- we'll put it this way: we haven't had a single person yet not say it's the best training experience we've <laughs> ever had, and that's that that's my goal. You know, is when they do it, they're like they're just consistently blown away by everything, the, how easy it is to use the app, the effectiveness of the training, uh, their ability to, you know, do the workouts. I don't know if anybody follows uh, Huxton Barbell, but. <laughs> You know, he's got a he's got a decent following on Instagram. It's like 160, 180,000 people. Um, you know, he also is one of the only people in the world to bench press over 500 pounds in a full meet. Um, and he's torn both pec tendons off the bone. Uh, so I'm rehabbing his pec tendon, the most recent one, because he wants to bench press 500 pounds after tearing his pec tendons <laughs> off the bone, which, which to his knowledge, nobody's ever done. And I love Huck. He's, he's a great guy. He is crazy on Instagram. Um, but what he keeps saying on their podcast, they have a podcast called Let's Get Stupid. And I'm, it's, it is just an entertainment podcast. It's not anything like what we're doing where we're talking about science. It's just entertainment purely. But anyway, he talks about it all the time where he's like, I wouldn't do half of the stuff that Jacob sends me if I didn't have a video of him doing it. Because A, I've never even heard of it. And B, I don't want to look it up. Like, I don't want to go on YouTube and type it in and try to figure out which way is the right. best way to do it. He said, that's really what makes it easy for me to stick right. to. 
and he just went to the doctor last week and he's uh four months ahead oh wow yeah so the doctor he's only 10 weeks out and the doctor already cleared him to bench nice do you have him do like a lot of like earthquake bar and stuff like that coming back no no he doesn't have it I mean, don't get me wrong. I would like to. Oh, but he doesn't have it. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. But he has like yeah, a big, I mean, doesn't I he think... have like a big home gym where he just doesn't, he hasn't bought the bar. But I remember you told me this no, before when he, he was squatting with the safety bar. He had the cast on oh or whatever. I mean, the arm sling. Yeah, and he's like, on. yeah, you're like, yeah. yeah, he doesn't do much prehab. He doesn't rotate and he max out all the time. And obviously I yeah. can tell he ain't got no damn earthquake bar. So I guess, yeah, that makes no. sense. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. He's, he's learning and listening a lot because he doesn't want this to happen again. He's been, he's been through two now. Um, but he, his, his work ethic is elite Mm. level. I, I, I've sent this guy, you know, I don't know how many workouts now, a lot of them are two a days rehabs like an hour. And then he trains for Mm. like an hour on his like good side or his Mm. legs. And he works a full-time job like everybody else. He, and he gets up at 4.30 in the morning, does his rehab, goes to work, comes back, does his other lift. He hasn't missed a mm. single day. So, you know, you, at, you you look at people like Huck, and you see how silly he is on Instagram. And you're like, oh, you know, this guy, he's just like, no, no, no. You don't understand. For you to be that strong, even even if as silly as he is, the work ethic it takes is right. insane. So any, anyway, the point is, uh, this app is, is for everyone. It's not just for elite athletes. Uh, it's for any kind of training, and I'm really proud of it. And I'm really excited to. There we go. I don't know what happened. Maybe it was the two hour mark. It's like no Kick more. Us off. You're done. You're done. <laughs> it That's was probably... still said two people were recording though, which was weird. I'm like, oh no, was it my headphones or something? It still just kept saying two people were recording, but then you were out. I'm like, oh okay. no. It kicked, it, on my side, it kicked me off. It said, oh. it said, it said, you're done recording. Good job. <laughs> an point. And they literally just stopped. I was like, wow, okay. Uh, but I mean, that's probably good anyways. We've two hours, man. We've been going at it. Uh, we could do another one. We could do another one. But, oh, yeah, oh, but they, I, I just had these the last uh, two. So what yeah. should athletes expect upon signing up with you with your, with your online service? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> it's a pretty simple process. You know, we have a waiver like everybody else should have. Uh, we have a part queue like everyone else should have just to assess and make sure that, you know, whoever you are, you're actually ready to train safely. Um, you know, and then we always ask them, we have a, we have a questionnaire. It's like, what equipment do you have access to? Cause again, we don't write generic programming. We don't write, right, programming. Right. we write it for you and what you have around you. And whether that's in your garage or at a powerlifting gym or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, there's a couple people on training who literally are working out in the living room. They have yeah. like two dumbbells and like one band and they're still like one guy wanted to gain weight. Um, he's, you know, he's a smaller athletic guy. And he's like, man, I really want to gain some weight. Yeah. He's in medical school. And he's like, do you think we can do it? I just have a couple dumbbells in the band. I'm like, absolutely we can. So he's already put on uh, almost seven pounds in like six mm. weeks. Um, so, I mean, we can lean. Do also, yeah. Oh yeah. He's, he's still very, very lean. Um, so like, you know, we can do anything. Um, we, and I think, you know, to better answer it, like what can you expect, um, you can, you know, you can expect just, uh, I, again, uh, the best way to say it is the best training experience you've had. That's the way I want everybody to walk away from it when they interact with us and they use it. It's just the best training experience you have. Um, and even like stuff like credit card payments, 
Um, we did not want to handle anybody's money directly. Mm-hmm. I think that, especially in today's world, like it's a very scary thing. Um, so we use Square. Like Square handles all of it. Square sends them an email. We don't see any of it. All we know is that the invoice was paid and that the money shows up in our Square account. So we don't have access to anybody's financial information. We don't take anybody's credit cards. We don't do any of that. Um, and again, I think in today's world, that's a plus. <laughs> you know, like right. I don't want you giving me your credit card number over the phone or on a freaking text message or something. Goodness right. gracious. I don't want to be responsible for that. Um, so, yeah, I just think it's a really easy, convenient, effective uh, way to train if it's for you. You know, I've told many people who signed up with us, it might we might not be for you forever, too. You might learn enough and say, you know what? I want to go try this on my own. Go for right. it. <laughs> you know, it's okay. Good luck, but yeah. You, no, on. no. It's like, it's, it's, it's okay. <laughs> like, go for it, you know? Um, you know, we, we're, we're always taking clients. We're not like three spots left kind of thing. Right. Um, you know, we're always taking clients. If it gets to a point where it's a capacity issue, we'll let people know. But we're not there yet. Uh, so what are your future goals? Own your own gym or just keep growing the online business? I don't I know. know. You don't want to keep traveling and stuff forever probably right yeah my goal my goal originally before covid was to probably have my own gym Mm -hmm. um lou and i were talking about doing that actually like after he he just retired in october we were talking about doing it in miami like in the next year or two Mm -hmm. um but with covid it changes a lot because clearly you don't know if you if you invest into a gym you can't count on i'm going to be able to be open and have this kind of revenue and build it up like you just don't know until right. something is figured out with this. So that puts everything on hold there. And then it, it makes you pivot, like I, like we were talking about, to start doing different things. It's like, well, now that I'm doing this online stuff and I'm enjoying it, if I can build it up the right way, I might not want to open a gym. Or if I do, it's going to be a lot smaller than I'd originally planned. Um, and, and maybe even better that way. Um, you know, like hybrid performance method? Um, they have a gym in Miami that's like maybe 80 or 100 members that's it because uh, yeah. they, they make most of their income from their online they, they have a training service very similar to ours hmm. um it's an app based it's 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 very very good and uh tom knows those people well you know they do a really good job over there but they had they do have a gym but they don't they're not trying to grow it to some massive thing they just want to have 80 or 100 people who like really are serious about training come in there and that's great. I mean, there's no right or wrong way to do it, right? It's just kind of whatever works for you. So I, I, to answer your better answer your question, I really still don't know. <laughs> I, I really want to get a little bit more information about where the world is headed post-COVID right. um, before I completely make a decision. But I, I'll tell you this. I'm not going to go find another, like, 22-year-old basketball player and say, let me travel with you for the next 10 years. It's not going to happen. <laughs> I don't think the wife is going to like that. <laughs> it's not going to happen. I'm not, I'm not going to like that. Um, I could not imagine going back and doing that again, like, starting from scratch. I just can't I can't do it. I, would I mean, also, do doesn't it also just cut you off from how many people you can train exactly. year-round, too? So, yep, you know, exactly. experience, money-wise, it just doesn't make the most sense, right? No, it's and you're not going to find maybe a Luol Dang every single time. Personality-wise, you get that player. You're not. I'll tell you right now. I've worked with enough athletes. You're not. And again, all all good people. But even still, there's a lot of things like you were saying that have to line up personality-wise to spend that much time together. So, yeah. um, so one last thing before yeah. we uh, sign off. Uh, so, how often do you use the ladders and the the little hurdles? Uh, for your almost, speed training. Almost never. <laughs> uh, um, 
I have some good friends who do that stuff, and I've tried to explain to them <laughs> over and over. Um, you know, look, I'll put it this way. I'll put it this way. I understand why some people do it, even if they know better, because there's a marketing component to it. Right. And I would, I would say this. You don't want to be a Louis Simmons to the point in which you turn people off because you're just so abrasive. Right. So there, sorry, I got a call. Yeah. 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 If a parent or a kid, um, you know, like feels like, Oh, doing hurdle work or, you know, agility ladder work, whatever makes me better. I'm okay with a coach doing maybe five minutes of it. I really am. Right. Even though I don't know that it's the best use of the time, I'm okay with it because it's like you, you need your athletes to buy in and you need to be able to market yourself. So I get, I get that side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the people who spend an hour doing that stuff, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, or running mechanics for an hour. Um, again, l- look at Bruce. Okay. Bruce with his duck feet, the guy ran a four nine weighing over 360 pounds. Okay. Right. His running mechanics are crap. So clearly running mechanics are not the end all be all. Now, is, is it okay to work on it some? Sure. Yeah. Take five or 10 minutes, help somebody globally understand what a running pattern should look like. Help them, you know, kind of get the idea of, of what they should be thinking about. I'm great with that. But spending hours upon hours every week working on your running mechanics is a really, really poor use of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, I'm okay with some of that stuff on a very small scale. But when it starts becoming the focus of your training, that's a problem. Um, right. and you should, I wish you could lose your license, but there is no license. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, where can people find you? Plug yeah. Your stuff. Yeah. It's real simple. Um, jacob.w.ross on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, at smart strength official on Instagram. And that's really it. Um, I don't, I have a Facebook. I don't check it. Um, right, yeah. I'm old enough that I was on Facebook when it first started. Like it could only be within a university. And because of that, there's so many people that um, I, I'm like friends with on Facebook, whatever, uh, that has nothing to do with my life currently. Like nothing. Right. And yeah, I have that too. Yeah. yeah. So like I just I just don't see the need to maintain the energy on it. Um, so if you look for me on there, I might not get back to you for like a year. Um, <laughs> Instagram it came along, came, came around at a point in my life in which I was building my career and I was building my like my like current business so I'm I'm super active on Instagram. That's the best way to get a hold of me for sure. All right, man. Well, this was great. This is the longest one so far. We got Good. two hours done. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> we got, got I, I got all my questions answered, you know. Yeah. And uh, a lot of notes myself. So definitely yeah. gotta I, I, I think like for me, like I wanna have kind of like, you know, how Joe does where it's like, all right, like six months to a year from now, I'll do like a recheck and then we have another sure. one and see where we're at and uh then I'll have more questions after watching videos of you and stuff for a year and everything. But yeah. it, it was, it was such a pleasure to have you on really honored and uh, just, well, just grateful that you're here to help spread more knowledge. Well, thank you for doing it. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a process to even set this up and host it. Um, and like, I'm always grateful that someone wants to spend two hours listening to me. <laughs> um, right. because I spent two hours listening to a lot of people that I did not want to listen to 
And so it's, it's always very humbling and grateful for me that you, uh, you know, you think highly enough of me to do this. So I'm honored to be here. Um, if I can help in any way, shape or form, you hit me up, you have my number, um, with whatever, I'm happy to do it. Thank you, man. Yeah. Right. You, sure. you, you have a good day and, uh, uh, Hope you have a good day with your family and everything, man. Thanks, man. You do the same and stay safe, all right? All right. Thank you. You too. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, there you have it. That is the conclusion of Episode 7. Hope you all enjoyed as much as I did. We really got a long one. This is the longest one so far, two hours. But we were really flowing back and forth for conversation. Got a lot of notes done. And definitely look forward to interviewing Jacob probably like six months to a year just like i do with all my other people get a nice little check and see what he's learned see what i learned and then bring it all back together tune in next week i definitely will have another exciting guest for you guys to listen to remember you can find me on instagram at khalil sharad that's at k-a-l-i-l underscore s-h-e-r-r-o-d if you want advice on training or if you want to sign up with my online programming services or see me in person you can visit the sweatline fitness website where i train my clients now or you can email me uh, at khalil at sweatlinefitness.com that's k-a-l-i-l at s-w-e-a-t-l-i-n-e fitness.com and remember stay clean peace